everyone. Before last year's Halloween show, I warned you not to let your children watch, but you did anyway. Hmm. Well, this year's episode is even worse. It's scarier, more violent, and I think they snuck in some bad language, too. So please, tuck in your children and... Well, if you didn't listen to me last time, you're not going to now. Enjoy the show. Creatures of the Night, and welcome to Anime Baby, where it's terror time again. This is your host, Captain Mikey Moonscar, and joining me as always is... Back from the dead, it's your co-host, Ryan. And happy Halloween, everybody! Happy Halloween! And also, happy four-year anniversary to Anime Baby. Yes, happy anniversary. Yeah, can you... Can you believe we've been doing this for four years now? I know I ask this every year when we do these episodes, but man, four years we've been doing this podcast. I'll believe it when we reach five next year. Ah, there you go. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, like, just to quickly talk about it, it's been, like, it's been quite the four years, but ever since we started this back in 2018. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's been quite busy for us. Like, part of me doesn't believe that we even got this far. Like, there's, there's a part of me that thinks, like, that maybe I would have burned out like years ago, but no, we're still going, going strong. Yep, we're still quite happy with how things have been going. We've been happy with how things have progressed and all the works we've gotten to. It's been pretty cool. Yep, and we got some big things planned coming to you within the next like few months to a year right now. It's like we got another summer series next year, uh, early next year. We're go, we're gonna have big episode fifty, so that's gonna be something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, more good things coming to you from us, but we also have good things coming to you today. With uh, the fourth podcast you're probably getting in October right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll be caught up after this, folks. Yes, yes. But I really had to get this one out because I'm on a bit of a hot streak of getting episodes out on Halloween, and damn it, I want to try to keep it going. Yeah, and I'm not going to break your sp- break your stride or anything, yeah. <laughs> so I know to get out of your way. <laughs> but as always, we're celebrating this special occasion along with the spooky season with our annual Anime Baby Anniversary Halloween Spooktacular. And what better way to celebrate the most terrifying time of the year than by reuniting with our favorite Zambambo idols in Fran Shushu? Man, I've been waiting to get to this one for a while, but like, hey, it's a good thing we saved it for the Halloween episode. Yeah, for sure. Because like, we did this back in uh, 2020, and then like last year we did Dorohidoro, so I think, you know, we had a bit of a break, two-year break, but we're back to uh, join up with the girls back in Saga. It's been plenty enough time since then. (laughs) And we just had to get back. Oh yeah, so yeah, after two years, we're returning to Saga with Zombieland Saga Revenge. I love the title. Just like, not season two, just Revenge. Revenge of the Zombieland Saga. (laughs) I was really happy when this came back the first time around when it started airing, but I was even happier to cover it because this series, this franchise of Zombieland Saga is just... All kinds of fun. 
It's a, it's a special idol series. It very much is. It really is. What other series will tackle a premise like this? Zombie idols. Zombie idols and also, like, catastrophes and disasters associated with, like, a certain region in Japan. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> like, there are moments in this season where I had to remind myself, this is a show about zombie idols. But, like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, only this show can do... a certain stuff like this well i mean it's about two things it's about zombie idols and it's about and it's about a specific prefecture in japan <laughs> i mean i i because I, I got that feeling more this season than the previous one like it's really the overall story is not just beyond the appeal of zombie idols it really is a big love letter to like one section of japan that doesn't really get much attention right and I really felt that love way more this season. Yeah, because, like, the first season, you kind of had to spend some time getting to know the characters and kind of putting the whole group together. But now, since everyone's all together, we know all the plans and stuff, we can just focus entirely on the saga aspect of Zombieland Saga. Yes, that, w that's, that was a very good move to go forward with. Which kind of, uh, it's very similar to, like, uh, Love Live in a way, where I always say the second season is better than the first one for, like, that reason, because now everything's established and you can just go head on with, like, a big story you want to tell. Yeah, because it's, it's it's the ramping up of stakes, basically. It's it's saving the school. It's saving the idol club or continuing it. Yeah. <laughs> and in this case, saving a whole prefecture. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no real story time with Anime Baby as uh, background info is pretty much the same all across the board as it was last time. However, I will bring up the one and only difference uh, this time around. As, uh, for whatever reason, unfortunately, the songs for the English dub weren't dubbed. So, yeah, I was I was very disappointed in this. We don't have any info as to why Crunchyroll chose to do this. It could be anything from uh, licensors not wanting the songs to be dubbed, despite them doing so for season one. So I don't know why they would change their mind. Or simply Crunchyroll just cheaping out and not choosing not to do so. I mean, it's a big, it's a big undertaking, like, to do so, though. It's it's already good. It was already a cool thing that they even did it in the first place. That's true. Like like this won't take that away from my, from us. Yeah, you can't you can't always get what you want. But on the plus side, this does give me the opportunity to shout out the original Seiyu for Fran Shushu. So uh, I'll uh, recap the dub actors here and also list off their uh, Japanese counterparts. So roll call: Sakura Minamoto played in English by Brina Palencia, in Japanese played by Kaede Hondo, Saki Nikaido played by Caitlin Glass, in Japanese played by Asami Tano, who was in Love Live. She's in a uh, Love Live Sunshine. Plays the character Sarah Cosino, one of the uh, one of the girls in the rival group uh, Saint Snow. Pulling double duty. Yeah, and my girl I Mizuno, played by you know it's all about the Brin Brene Burrell, baby, in English, and played by Risa Tanida in Japanese. Uh, Junko Kono, played by the multiverse monarch Ama. Don't call me Splats Lee, and in Japanese, played by Maki Kawase. Yugiri, played by Stephanie Young Brem in English, played by Rika Kinugawa in Japanese. Uh, Lily Shut the Fuck Up Turf Hoshikawa, played by Sarah Wiedenhuff in English, and played by Minami Tanaka in Japanese. And even though she doesn't sing, I just gotta shout her out because she's awesome. Uh, Tai Yamada, played by Don M. Bennett in English, and played by Sailor Moon herself, Kotono Mitsuishi in Japanese. Hey, she, she, she may not be able to conjugate words, but she tries. <laughs> but still, I, I love how in Japanese you get a legendary actor who played one of the most famous anime roles of all time. And you bring her in the studio to go... That is still one of the funniest unf unsung jokes <laughs> of the whole series. <laughs> Made even better because in season one, while that was still airing, 
for the first two episodes, they list they credited Ty as a question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, they didn't reveal who was playing her. You know, if they really wanted to take the joke further in English, they could have gotten uh, Sailor Moon's Deke actress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> boy, sir. Oh, which one, though? <laughs> She's got, she had, like, four different actors playing her. The, the most, the, whichever one is doing a voice in being Puppy Cat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because she's always she's she's still surprisingly up for roles. And yeah, she, and she's hilarious in being Puppy Cat. Yeah, she hasn't retired yet, which is great. <laughs> but yeah, needless to say, I do love the Japanese cast though. As much as I bang on about the dub cast, I do quite like the Seiyu for Fran Shushu here. And some other background info: uh, Samuel Saga Revenge aired from April eighth, twenty twenty one, to June twenty fourth, twenty twenty one, with the dub produced by Funimation now Crunchyroll. And once again, everything's the same across the board in terms of directors and writers on both sides. So nothing new here. And I, think, and I feel we should get right into it. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. So, we're talking all about Zombieland Saga Revenge. So without further ado, music, come on! First things first, the opening and the ending. The opening is Osaga, Cry With Me, and the ending is Spending the Days with a Dream and Nowhere to Go Home, both performed by Pran Shushu. What we got here? Oh, this opening, it rocks. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as good as the first one. Yeah, because like the first OP was very good, but this one, I feel they just kind of amped up the intensity of the song. Makes it makes the whole series seem like it's some sort of like a action film or something. Yeah. <laughs> Though, like, even sillier than the first opening because you get shots of, like, all the girls, like, riding tandem bicycles or flying around in hot air balloons or, like, uh, Kotaro running, like, the uh, exit sign guy. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the whole opening. Yeah. Him, him running his ass off. It's very fluidly animated, too. Like, holy shit. It almost seems to tease some of the stuff that will happen later on because when I saw some helicopters in that opening... <laughs> And the use of some of the colors in there that looked almost like danger signs. Yeah. I was like, oh, this, uh, once I got to the end of the season, I was like, oh, this, this may, this kind of teased out some things that were going to happen. This teased that danger was on the way. And also, disaster was imminent. And also, if you go back to season one's opening, that also kind of sort of teased some things out that happened later on in the end. But hey, that's what a good opening should do. Yeah. (laughs) 
And also the ending. Very nice. I do kind of... It's, like, similar to the first ending where it's just... It gets some nice shots of, like, the town of Saga, and then you just see all of our girls just kind of hanging out together. I agree as well. I mean, this this second season, like, ramps up the plot by being even more of a love letter to the Saga prefecture, so why not highlight some of its beauty in the ending? Exactly. And also just a lovely song in general. Yeah, very lovely. So, kick off! Franchishu, they've seen better days, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of... <laughs> I kind of had to do, like, a double check at the beginning here, because I was like, wait, what's going on here with this plot? Yeah, because, like, the first thing we see is that we have all of our girls in Franchishu working odd jobs in and around Saga, and it's like, wait, what happened here? Weren't you, like, successful idols? Like, what, uh, what about uh, everything after the Arpino concert? That was a huge success. Why are you all working on farms or, like, eyes working at a dry squid factory, basically going, uh, knife goes in, guts come out, knife goes in, guts come out? <laughs> Or, like, Lily working, like, as a, a milk delivery girl. Yeah, even the child <laughs> is resorting is being, is being resorting to labor to help support others. No child labor laws in Saga, I guess. <laughs> this, like, little baby can just deliver you milk. <laughs> or, like, uh, Yugiri working in a bar, which is actually pretty perfect for her. Actually, that does work out for her. And uh, funny enough about this, they actually did, like, a bit of a VTuber thing with Yugiri in this, like, location where they had her say you like, pretty much perform as her and, like, do, like, stuff in the bar setting. God, wouldn't it be just, like, the most perfect thing if, like, in the interim between the seasons, like, she actually streamed and it was for money to support them? Oh, that'd be great! <laughs> <laughs> and then you drop hints in the chat <laughs> about what's been going on. Like every <laughs> And you drop hints about the next season. Like, every time she gets, like, a bit drop, she goes, Ah, oh, thank you for the 5,000 bits. We definitely really need this money. Things are pretty tight right now. Oh, that would have been perfect. Uh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> if only that were feasible. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you, you might give a little too too much away with that. But yeah, still. It, it could easily fall apart if, if, they, if you're not careful. Yeah. I am happy to have them back, but I'm also very sad to see that they're have to start from square one again especially after everything they went through in this first season well if you're just like if you're just tuning tuning into the season initially and you have no idea of what's going to happen later on which i certainly didn't it can it can seem a little confusing at first yeah and also a uh, nice little touch that i noticed with the animation here is that uh you know how they have to have like the the human makeup to cover up their zombiness uh early on in this uh, first episode you notice that their makeup is a little uh it's a little off, like, you can see their eyes are a lot more sunken in, like, it's not very perfect, they're much more pale than they actually are. It's a subtle touch. Yeah, because, uh, none of them know how to apply that makeup perfectly, and only Kotaro can do that. But, uh, speaking of Kotaro, he fucked up real bad after the Arpino concert, as, uh, Franchushu is now in super debt, because he, he got a little too big for his britches, and he set up this big stadium show for, like, uh, 30,000 people this, that'll fill the stadium. And only 500 people showed up. Oh. Yeah. Like, it's played for laughs here, but later on, it actually it's actually really, really sad. Yeah, they, yeah it's it, it will actually be treated very seriously, because, you know, aside from, like, the monetary debt, it was, like, a huge blow to their morale. Yeah. But also, at the same time, I look at this, and I'm kind of reminded of this, uh, this one, like, TNA show where they held it at a baseball stadium. And it was mostly empty. Like, the, the only people who were there were surrounding the ring. And you can just see this entire ballpark just empty. <laughs> now, you see, that's where the cameramen have to come in to make make it seem like big, like it's bigger. Like, they have to, like, shoot it from a lower angle so you don't... So people's heads, like, cover up the empty bleachers. <laughs> <laughs> 
if I see even a single one of you pan upwards, you're fired. Or like, zoom in really close into the ring, like up into the wrestler's faces so you don't even see the crowd. <laughs> but yeah, Kothro, he looks like shit right now. Drinking his worries away. And uh, he's looking a bit like uh, Attack on Titan Final Season Aaron Yeager. <laughs> Sitting at a bar, drowning his sorrows, you know, he's all like, I'm hurt, I'm tired, and I work with fucking children. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to reference yeah. them at some point. <laughs> you know, maybe off off the record, he's all like, Sakura, you big, empty-headed, fucking dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> if you get that reference, pat yourself on the back. But yeah, dude's been drowning his sorrows for like over a month now, ever since that concert. And like, he's even shutting out Sakura, even after his big speech last season where he said he'd never leave her side. But And like, that's how you know it's rough when like even he's shutting her out. His whole life, as of this point, has just been uh, drowning himself in uh, the uh, bars of, like, the Yakuza games. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like one of those, like, little quaint bars with, like, the mamas. And, it like, does. The, and, like, the whiskeys, you know? Now we just need him to sing sad karaoke. Kiryu should come by and uh, entice him on a side quest. Yeah. <laughs> the zombie, the zombie, the zombie idol revenge. Yeah. <laughs> side quest activated. Uh, maybe he hands the reins over to Kiryu and Kiryu is leading Franchishu. Ah, uh, but you would need a reason for Kiryu to go to the Saga Prefecture, though. Ah, uh, yeah, you would. I guess, wait, it's near Fukuoka, right? Yeah. Yakuza 5, I believe. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think Kiryu is in Fukuoka during that time as a cab driver. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he could go there. <laughs> he, could. he just hops into the bar one day and he sees Sad Kothro drowning his sorrows. He has a cab. He has an excuse. He can drive over there. Yeah, he's, he's there to pick him up to drive him home. Yes, we've got the side story. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Book it. <laughs> Girls are very concerned about Kotaro, and uh, even I thinks that there was probably some sort of method to his madness because, like, in, in real life, nobody would go from, like, a small show in Arpino to like a big stadium show that quickly like there had to have been something more to that and he's done crazier stuff before so who knows like it's not it wouldn't be surprising to think that to have these characters think oh is this maybe part of the plan you trying to break us down to build us back up uh, <laughs> no no he he just fucked up no he he actually fucked up yeah it seems <laughs> and now he's dr and now he's drowning himself in Suntory <laughs> They all, they all want the old Kotaro to come back, and they also want to do that by uh, performing that encore song that he wrote for them, but they never got to do at uh, the EFS concert. We still don't know the full story of, like, that downfall, either. We do get that later on, but it's kind of this is kind of the setup. And also another thing is that uh, while we see Kotaro act like a, a silly, you know, off-his-tits drunk right here, He's actually really, really super broken up about this. Like, he's really taken this hard. I mean, it is kind of played for laughs, of course. I mean, we've never seen this guy, like, this in this low of a position, of course. But, like, they do they do take it pretty, like, somewhat seriously. Yeah, like, you'll have a moment where he pops in and goes like, Hey, guys, how's it going? And then the next moment he's just outside vomiting and just kind of crying a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of funny, but kind yeah. of sad. Yeah. 
But uh, Kotaro, he's not ready to quit as he uh, gets some motivation in the form of the old bartender we saw back in Season 1. And we actually get his name this time around. In the show, he's called uh, Jofuku, but uh, that's also another name for Shufu in Chinese. Which, if you don't know, Shufu is a Chinese alchemist who served as the court sorcerer of the Qin Dynasty. And he was sent on two separate journeys to search for the Elixir of Life. And he actually has quite the legacy in Saga, if you look it up. Like, uh, there's a story that says that he reached the top of uh, Mount Kinryu, where he met a hermit and obtained the Elixir of Immortal Life. And he said that uh, the Elixir is said to have been made from a plant called Furufuki, which is still which still grows on the mountain to this day. So yeah, there's actually a connection between uh, this Chinese alchemist and the Saga Prefecture. This will be important down the line, folks. Yeah. <laughs> We're explaining this for you now. Yep. You just got some interesting history. Although, I will say, that's a pretty cool backstory for, like, an alchemist. Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> when you go back into history and you look at, like, the and then you look at like the life of any alchemist or magician, you, 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 you will usually find a pretty interesting story. It's not all mercury poisoning. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, trying to, like, burn shit and whiten shit to, like, try to create, like, uh, like a potion that will... Uh, like get your dick hard or something <laughs> i don't know what they really wanted out of that like they really want eternal life i wonder was it all a metaphor <laughs> like the alchemist from the venture brothers would have you believe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they must they must have wanted they must have had to have wanted more than that well, oh, they were also trying to turn what lead into gold yeah something like that it's like you're just going to drive the price of gold down if you do that yeah man it's a bad strategy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now, Orc Goldfinger, he had the idea in the James Bond films, you know. Ah, yes. You know, does make all the all the gold in the world useless except for mine. Yeah. So and that will make me the most powerful him. man. Mm-hmm. See? Better plan. Al- alchemists were not smart. No. You see? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it's now called chemistry these days and not alchemy. <laughs> I'm on a roll here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Hermes Trismegistus. <laughs> For all you, for all you alchemy lovers out there, <laughs> or magic lovers, <laughs> you know, shout out if you're an alchemy lover out there. <laughs> We're gonna get a call out post from like FMA fans. <laughs> I say bring it. I'll add even more to that. Would it be great if FMA, like you know, they're searching for the philosopher's stone? What if the philosopher's stone, instead of bringing like eternal life, just made your dick really, really super hard? Like it's the ultimate blue chew pill. <laughs> Elixir of life. Yeah, it'll give life to something. Yeah, it will. <laughs> uh, they, it's all just to make something that circulates blood in your body. <laughs> you know, Ed's all like, hey, Winry, this uh, Philosopher's Stone is good for other things, if you know what I mean. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, it's like, oh, my God, what does that make Van Hohenheim? Oh, no. Oh, no! <laughs> Oh, God. No, bit's done. done bit's done. over. Cancel it. Cancel no. It. <laughs> We're done. We're done. Moving on. I do not want to think about that. <laughs> no. 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 We're not doing it. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, French Shushu, they're back at the, at the concert hall, and they're back to perform in front of everybody. Oh, we're safe. Oh, yeah. And hey, at this time around, we, also, we see the uh, the metalheads are back. They're uh, two number one fans. Hey, those guys are always cool to see. And I don't think I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I found out that these guys actually have names. And they're pretty great. They are, and I'm not kidding you, Vulcan Skull. Oh, <laughs> come on. Cue the theme from Power Rangers right here. 
Okay, that's that's actually really cool. It is. <laughs> that's a wow, really? Yeah, Vulcan skull. <laughs> you don't usually see that. No, like <laughs> reference an American version of a Super Sentai series. Wow, that's that's wow, that's cool of them to do. Yeah, heck, even the the bastard cop you see run around, his name is actually Dirty Harry. <laughs> uh, but uh, even though we have the metalheads here, uh, the rest of the crowd are. People who aren't really familiar with Franchishu and they don't really like him all that much. Kind well, of... they're, well, they're at their original venue where they first performed. Yep. Bunch of metalheads all around, you know? Yep, and like only two of them really know who they are. Things start to get a little rowdy right here. Met the uh, metal fans aren't really taking kindly to this idol group. They're telling each other, you said fucking Nine Inch Nails is when gonna, was going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we want Chili Willy. We want Chili Willy. <laughs> uh, pull a bit of like... Uh, Blues Brothers and just start chucking beer bottles at them right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually fit for a group like this. Yeah, it would. And their whole journey. But then Kothro shows up and he actually tries to motivate Franchushu by asking for an encore. And the crowd's all like, get the fuck out of here, dude. And Kothro and the Metalheads just end up starting a riot in this in this concert hall here. <laughs> Man, this is a great this is a great re-entry re re to this, this group, though. Yep, and then the girls see this and then they're motivated to perform. We get a, music, come on! And we get our first song of the series. song is called revenge and what a great song to kick things off on 
I mean, yeah, it's a it's 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 a pretty good one that you would expect from a group like this to like really reintroduce people because who knows, might be some new people. Yep, people might be seen they might one. be around, they might be confused by like where the plot's going right now. <laughs> but hey, you start off with a song, you start off with a big metalhead fight in a crowd, and I love how the brawl is still going while they're still performing. Like in the foreground, you can just see people just like tackling each other and throwing punches while they're still on stage. <laughs> But even one of the, at one point, like, uh, Bulk, he actually grabs one of the, uh, crowd people and, like, points his head to the, to the, to Franz Shushu and it's like, look at them, they're performing, aren't they cool? Uh, but I, I love this, like, the first time I saw this, I'm, I'm just all like, Zombie Land's back, baby. Mmm, good to have you. Though, uh, the girls didn't think too highly of this concert, and, uh, I do love this bit, this, uh, read from, uh, Bryn April here, where she kind of does a bit of a Scorpio Sky impression with the, with the delivery of, that was the worst concert I've ever been in. <laughs> that was the worst concert I've ever been in. This is the worst town I've ever been in. Still a success in a way, as the old Kotaro is back. Hey, you got a bomb before you blow up. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I was happy to see him back in the full garb with his uh, suit jacket as a cape, the waistcoat, the sunglasses, and just... The big bombastic energy. Because hey, by the by this point of the episode, you really do want him back. Yeah. I you really do miss him. I don't want to see sad Kotaro. I want to see yelling, angry Kotaro. Yeah, the joke goes for as long as it goes. He's like sad. He's a he's a sad sack in a bar. He's drinking his world's his his world away. Then you get sad as the viewer, because you're like, oh, I want the old one back. Then it ends with him coming back. It's yeah. perfect. <laughs> it's joke went on for as long as it needed to. <laughs> And also, with the return of old Kotaro, that means the return of Rico Fajardo's amazing delivery as him. And now, girls, the news. <sighs> Japan is ringing in the Reiwa era, but for a handful of people living here in Saga, the return of Franchushu is an equally important event. Camera two. So, Miss Four, do you have any comments about getting back to work soon? Uh, well, I think it's important for us to catch up after being away for a solid month. Mm -hmm. And Miss Three, what will you girls do to make up for sitting on your butts, huh? <sighs> well, we already have part-time jobs, but I'm guessing you want us to do more, don't you? <gasps> exactly! Think you can read my mind? What's next? Uh, ow! Beats me. Maybe acting or something? <clears throat> or not? <clears throat> <clears throat> I know! Listen, ladies! The obvious strat is to broadcast your return to a wide audience with as much production value as possible! Bottom line is, television is your only hope to achieve that! You bunch of brain-dead zombies! <laughs> Shut your hole! You're the one who screwed up, remember? <laughs> You're in violation of zombie etiquette, you know? Are you ever gonna explain what that was all about or no? Look, as the only non-zomb in the room, I'm feeling unsafe here. I could sue you all. Perhaps I will. So, if you want to avoid uncivil court, you'd better pull off this big important job that I landed for you! Oh, he's so wonderful. One of the best performances in the series. It's one of those performances where I really want to be a fly in the room, just watching him in the booth recording and just going absolutely mad trying to play this man. He has a wild amount of energy as an actor. Holy shit, it's it's insane. Like, I know he was a guest at Otakon this past year, and I wish I had the chance to see him just so I can compliment him on Kotaro. I know, he does a fantastic job. He's got a kaiji narrator energy. 
Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> the way to put it. Have I really not made that comparison yet? No, not yet. He really does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> like, those of you at home, go fire up the Kaiji dub. Or like, uh... Tonegawa. Tonegawa dub. We're getting the Kaiji dub soon. Yeah, but still the same guy. It's still David Wald. Yep. But uh, listen to David Wald as the narrator and compare him to Rika Fajardo as Kotaro. And they're very much similar in, like, the energy department. They are birds of a feather in that regard. Where you, like, one moment they're just, like, going wild, talking sort of fast, but then they kind of bring it down very quietly and then do some different voices and accents, too. They, they can break into improv easily. Yeah. <laughs> or make it seem like improv, even. Yeah. So, the revenge tour is underway, and what's the first plan? Becoming TV stars. As, uh, along with another saga homegrown celebrity named White Ryu, uh, the girls are gonna do, like, this big uh, TV event where they kind of go all around the Saga Prefecture and kind of show off all the little tourist destinations. And also Saki, she's a big fan of uh, this White Ryu fellow right here. Man, <laughs> this reminds me, Saga would be beautiful to actually visit. Yeah, I really want to visit it. This whole, er this whole area and the way they depict it and the way they show love for it just looks, mmm, just, just a nice little slice of Japan. And in that case, I think the series is doing its job because I think part of the purpose of the series is kind of boost up tourism for Saga. I mean... Fine, whatever. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> I want to visit Saga. <laughs> yeah, this series is honestly the best thing that could have happened for Saga, I guess. Yeah, like in this scene where like they're going to like all these different sites, it's pretty much like, hey, don't you want to visit Saga and see this? Don't you want to see mud skippers? I want to see angry little mud skippers. I want to see them. They look cute in a <laughs> ugly kind of way. They, they I, every time I look at mud skippers, they always look pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> like they're always in offense mode. Yeah, trying to fight each other, <laughs> just flopping around like crazy. But I want to see them. I want to see one live and in person. <laughs> I want to go out there and try dried squid. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, dried squid would actually. It sounds weird, but I bet it tastes really good. I mean, it can't be. I mean, if I mean, if you've ever had anything akin to like fish jerky out here or something, it can't yeah. be that too dissimilar. Yeah, maybe it has like a bit of a calamari taste in a bit. It would. It, it's probably way chewier. Yeah, but hey, I try it. That still sounds very good to me. Oh, and also one thing I'm bring up is uh, we kind of get a bit of an updated version of uh, the girls' season one outfits here, which I kind of like because like in season one they were just like the t-shirts and the skirts, but now they kind of jazzed them up a little bit where they kind of look like the t-shirts but it's like different styles you know like some of them are wearing like dress versions or you like you have Saki that wears like a cut off shirt version of that yeah very nice costumes and there'll be even more nice costumes to come and also White Ryu played here by Tony Oliver his intro is amazing where he comes riding in on the hood of his car just casually leaning back on the hood of his car on the windshield and just like drives in <laughs> he's got the Yankee haircuts yeah the big <laughs> Space dandy pompadour, though it's uh, less pomp and all door right now. He kind of has to, like, swipe it over. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a comb over now. It's a, good, it's a good little visual gag. It also makes me really appreciate that Zombieland Saga just has this knack of playing off goofy shit very super straight. Like, you can just have, like, the weirdest thing happen on screen, and, like, you won't get any aside comments about what's going on. Like, the comedy just comes from seeing it on screen and just people reacting normally to it. I know, really, like, even even simple little jokes like this, like, just really good comedy. They know how to hit, they know how to hit their mark. And also, uh, Saki here, she's a big fan of uh, White Ryu, as she is just marking out to, like, anything he says. Like, he's he gives all these very deep words of wisdom during this whole event right here. Before I knew it, we were already into character focus episodes, because this is Saki's episode of the yeah. season. <laughs> it's second episode, and we're already into that? Yep. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, wow, you're not wasting any time. Nah. But uh, after all of this this event right here, Saki finds out that uh, the winds have changed and White Ryu is going to retire from his radio show. And it kind of kind of puts her in a bit of a stupor right here. Like, she's actually pretty sad about this whole thing. And we do get a bit here where uh, Lily suspects that Saki is in love with Ryu. And then we get a conversation on idols being in relationships. And, you know, Junko being from the 80s, she has the old school mentality of idols can never have relationships. You know, look but don't touch. Which kind of calls back to uh, season one. But uh, but then I brings up the idea that, well, I heard idols back in your time had secret relationships. And then Junko gives a look where she's all like, wait, we could do that? <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they gracefully float over the fact that the situation is kind of far worse today. Yeah. Or, like, if, if if they so much even, like, give out a single whiff that they're in a relationship, they will be, like, abused by their fans. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they kind of don't talk about that part. Yeah. Though I guess it kind of depends on the idol, because a uh, famous example right now is uh, Suzuko Mimori, or uh, Mimorine, who played uh, Umi in Love Live. She's actually married to one of the best pro wrestlers on the planet, Kazushika Okada. <laughs> and they even have a kid together. Now, what... What makes that a special case? Is it because he's scary and they're afraid that he might, that he might, they, and that fans are afraid he might try to beat them up? Probably. You know, you're a schlubby fan and you see the fucking Rainmaker right here. He's probably gonna hit you with a Rainmaker if you try to harass me, Marine. Is, is, I wonder, is that the explanation? They're all scared of her, her husband? Hey man, I'd be scared of probably the best wrestler on planet Earth. I mean, I would too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at him. Like, those lariats, they're stiff, man. Man, he's like, ooh, boy, yeah, you want to, you wouldn't want to mess with that. Also, their kid, probably the coolest kid in the world, because what other kids can say both of their parents sold out the Tokyo Dome? That kid is of uh, interesting uh, talent pedigree. I can imagine them growing up to be like a wrestling idol, like Maki Ito, but if she were kayfabe successful. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out this cute little bit during this whole conversation here where uh, this little back and forth between Lily and Yugiri where Lily's all like, I love everybody in the whole wide world because everybody loves me too. And then Yugiri chimes in with, that includes me, dearest lady Lily. And I'm just like, ah, it's adorable. Aww, <laughs> still, still the cutest member. <laughs> everybody loves Lily. Just really turning on the charm. <laughs> Uh, but uh, then we get a bit of a Saki, bit more of a Saki's backstory as uh, we got a little bit of it in season one, but we actually got a little bit more like per pre biker days, where she had a bit of a rough childhood, like no adults really cared about her, and she ended up just getting into fights all the time. But then it was a uh, white reuse radio show that inspired her to change her life. You know, it inspired her to find someone in this world who's just like her. That way, she'll never be alone again. And soon after that, she found Reiko and started her biker gang. You know, I had that, well, you know, I had a similar reaction when I first heard the Dr. Demento show. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Dr. Demento show. Bring you all the, uh, all the funny little records out there that never make it to air. <laughs> and I was like, you fucking go, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I need to hear. Someone who gets me. <laughs> Uh, but uh, without Ryu, uh, she wouldn't be where she is now. So White Ryu basically saved her life right here, and she owes him a lot of gratitude. We get a moment where Saki and uh, Sakura run to the radio station where Ryu's doing her, his radio show. And then afterwards, Saki spills her guts to him and tries to get him not to quit his show. And uh, her passion actually leads him to uh, pick her and the rest of Franchushu to take over his show instead. 
as uh, he wants her to be the leader of Saga along with uh, Fran Shushu, which is pretty great. Aww. And then Saki confesses her love to Ryu, so Lily was right, she did actually have a crush on this guy. But he politely turns her down as uh, she's way too young for him. I actually didn't expect that line to come out. I thought it was going to be more like, I thought there was going to be like a fake out moment of like, I love your music. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that too. Because <laughs> you, you never hear characters in idol shows confess actual, real, genuine love. There's almost a, always a follow-up. No, no, like, yeah. I love what we do. Yeah. It's <laughs> <was> like, oh. <laughs> I love you, platonically. <laughs> it's, it's always that. Yeah. Uh, but like, no, like that, the, the, so yeah, that, that caught my ear. Like, wait, what? Is there going to be a follow-up to that? Like, oh no, you, oh, okay, you've. Wow, you've actually got a crush on this guy yeah. with that hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't all saggy back then. It's like, well, he's got the personality. <laughs> yeah, he does. And, like, hey, he plays some of his music and it sounds like good music. But, like I said, he tells her she's way too young for him. It's like, it kind of makes sense in a way, because, like, Saki, she died in the 90s. Like, if she hadn't died and grown up in, tw- in uh, 2019 right here, they probably would have been somewhat closer to, like, the same age. They would have at least been adults right now. Well, she would have been, like, a teenager, and he would have been, like, a radio host. There would have been a ten-year gap. A little gap. Let's like, be real. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, once they get older, then, like, that's that's really nothing, really. Right. At this moment, I actually really love what we get here, where we see Saki actually show some real vulnerability right here. Like, laments how she'll never truly grow up, because being a zombie, you're, you're the same way you are now, until pretty much the end of time. And she's also, like, sad because, like, she'll never really find that special someone, you know. She brings up her friend Reiko, how she found a husband, has a, has a daughter, and, like, she's never gonna have that. And it's actually pretty sad. And it actually means a whole lot coming from her, like, you know, she's she has a lot more depth than just, you know, tough biker chick. Yeah, there, there's quite a few more dimensions to her. You know, still a person with feelings and desires and everything. Though I do love how Sakura starts crying even harder than she does, and her, like, her face shrivels up because <laughs> of all the tears. <laughs> Uh, but still, like, I, I do love these moments of, like, the girls of Franchishu getting to be real, you know, kind of reckoning with the fact that they're zombies and, like, they're pretty much going to stay the same for the rest of their lives. It's kind of, it's kind of, diff- it's kind of tough when you really think about it. I mean, it is. Even though it's a, a subject they don't really come up to too much later on. Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, they still got to get back to getting their revenge. Yeah, and, and, like, you know, performing again and actually, like, reaching those heights. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's also still, this is a comedy show about zombie idols. Right. But still, at the same time, these these nice little tender moments. It you gotta be reminded that it's way sadder than it actually yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what, is it, what isn't sad is uh, the song we get for this episode, Do You Hate Windy Days? I'm 
And on that note, it's about time for us to close out today's installment of So Saga Can Be Saga with Franchushu. So if you're ever feeling lost or alone, you can come to us. We're here. And remember, the answers you're looking for can always be found here in Saga. Just like season one, Saki gets a real fun song right here. Mm, she really does. Like I, I love this one. This is a real, this is a real banger right here. I mean, it sounds like something that she would actually jam out to on her own bike. Yeah. <laughs> and real good, in uh, real good animation right here, especially when it gets to the chorus and they're all like uh, spinning around the rally towels a bit. Like it's real fluid animation. Mm, looks great. And I do love uh, the final shot we see of uh, White Ryu driving off into the sunset, sitting on the hood of his car while they drive off into the into the desert. <laughs> you better hope they don't have to make an immediate break, because he'll be, like, all over the pavement. Yeah, he'll just go flying. <laughs> <laughs> you better hope that pompadour of his saves him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe that's why he grew it out, so he can grab onto it as a cushion. He just goes skidding across, the like, the asphalt, <laughs> and then he gets up like, Don't worry, <laughs> my pompadour took all the skidding. <laughs> I'm all right. Do you know how much grease I put into this thing? <laughs> well, actually, if he did, he would actually, like, slide did... 50 more yards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a penguin. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like a Super Mario 64, the penguin race. <laughs> uh, but the, this this was a good character focus episode, and I do love the uh, the final line we get from Saki on the radio show where she says, And remember, the answers you're looking for can always be found in Saka. And, like, ah, that's a good line. I, mm, I like that one. Very nice. So, following up from a character-focused episode, we actually we actually go even harder, because, like, the next two episodes are a two-parter focused on uh, Junko and I. Now, you know when it comes to these two characters, they are going to take it a bit more, take things a little more seriously. Oh, yeah, like the two professional idols in the group, you're right, right here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this episode really gets over the fact that uh, I is really the glue that kind of holds uh, Fran Shushu together, and I'm all like, that's my girl. But everyone goes to her for advice and everything. They always ask her about, like, uh, different ways to, like, improve themselves. Or, like, Ty just goes to her to ask, like, which dried squid is better than the other. <laughs> and then after that, we get uh, Drill Sergeant Kotaro, which I will splicey. <laughs> Iron Frill is coming here. Iron Frill is coming here. So get your zombie butts in here. Let's go! It's a raid! An ambush! They're coming! You little god! <laughs> <laughs> Denied! You are to respond with a sir, yes, sir! Uh, sir, yes, sir! You're just a bunch of wet corpses wallowing around in muck! <laughs> no, you're the maggots that ate the corpses! Would you calm down? Get back to Iron Frill! Get the out of your ears and listen up, you shambling sacks of bones! There's about to be another landmark added to the fierce battlefield that is Saga! The new Saga Arena! Wait, the what now? And guess who's breaking it in first? Iron Frail, obviously! Huh? Now, why is a big-time idol group from Tokyo being brought in for the inaugural performance at a venue in Little Old Saga, you may ask? And to that I say, who freaking knows?! The important takeaway is that I found a way to weasel you maggots in as the opening act! <laughs> 
are gonna be so awesome that those Tokyo are gonna leave here not ashamed. It's the perfect plan, so memorize it. You're kidding. The Iron Frill? Good. We can handle this. I know it. <laughs> You're right! Iron Frill is on the way. Iron Frill is on the way. And then he starts firing his super soaker at all of them and it goes into like this FPS view right here. This is maybe, uh, this is, I don't know, is, I would maybe say this is his best bit of the season. Yeah, I would have to say so too. It's very unexpected and it lands pretty well. He just goes full on. Arlie Army. Army right here. <laughs> <laughs> like he even cusses them out and like they even censor some of the words right here. <laughs> Like, at one point, it just turns into, like, full-on bleeps as he's just yelling at all of them. It's like, oh, that is so many slurs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, he's here to tell the group that uh, I's old idol group of Iron Frill is set to perform at the new Saga Arena. And he's also booked Franchishu as their opening act. But with a certain caveat, I can't perform with them. As uh, you don't want to risk people recognizing her as their old leader. So Franchishu has to go in without her, while Kotaro has I go solo for a little while, just to make sure she doesn't get rusty. As uh, this will be an opportunity for the rest of the group to grow without her, while uh, Junko can take a shot at uh, leading them, since she's pretty much the second most experienced idol out of all of them. It's a little risky move, though. You can't just pull out idols like they're like sport, like they're like people on a sports team or something. Nah, not really. Like, like you're doing poor out there. Get off the stage. Nah, get off the stage. You can't bench anyone right here. Nope, you're not doing this next concert. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you can't pull uh, Bailey Zappy Mac Jones with uh. I right here. <laughs> Can't argue with the coach. No, put me back in the concert. Put me back in the concert. I can still go. I can still go. It's like, <laughs> nope, you suck. Out. <laughs> uh, but uh, we do see that Junko is, uh, she's struggling a little bit as, uh, you know, while she was a top idol in her day, the key thing is she was a solo act. She's never worked in a group before. So she doesn't really have any experience leading others when it comes to being an idol. And also we even see some uh, inferiority kind of start to creep in as a, uh, we kind of jump in to see I solo run little bits here and there, and she's actually really holding herself pretty well. It's good drama, you know, the the solo versus the team dynamic and idols and stuff. Isn't isn't Love Live doing something like that recently? Uh, yes, uh, Love Live Nijikasaki. That whole season is all about uh, all the girls being more solo acts. Though uh, in the second season, they start to branch into more uh, subunits a bit, so they kind of get a mix of the two. Yeah, it's a good angle to go with uh, idol storytelling. Yeah, I, I really like it. <laughs> I mean, also we do get bits where Junko says that uh, if I was in her spot back in the 80s, she would have been a megastar. So, like, it really goes to show the kind of difference between the two of them, even though they're very much both top idols. Like, I is just a little bit better because she can, like, adapt to, like, pretty much either group or solo act. And then around the time, we meet the uh, the new leader of Iron Frill, Shiori, played here by Jade Saxton. And we actually saw a bit of her back in Season 1 during the Saga Rock Festival, but now she's kind of... Fully integrated as, like, a, a side character in Zombieland Saga right here. As Iron Frill, they're the big dogs of the idol world. And if Ron Shushu can't get this performance right, then they'll look even worse by comparison. And then they can't get the revenge. This concert really, really counts for them. They gotta they got really wow it. They need to find a way to make an impact. Which leads to a pretty great joke. That's It's a bit untranslatable, but once you get it, it's actually pretty funny. Where Junko gets on Kotaro's computer to try to look up impact, but she can't type on the keyboard. So then she just, like, unplugs the computer, you know, very much like Mr. Burns hanging up a phone by putting it in the drawer. <laughs> this joke could fly over the lot, a lot of people's heads because it's very much a joke that only Japanese people could get. But I do, I did find the explanation for this. If you don't know how Japanese keyboards work, 
she when she was typing she was accidentally typing in romaji and it was being converted into uh hiragana when it could but what she was trying to type was based off the hiragana displayed on the keyboard next to the latin characters so she didn't know how to switch from the romaji keyboard to the hiragana keyboard Mm, okay because uh she's from the 80s that wasn't a thing back then so she wouldn't know that you had to change it oh that's clever yeah i like that yeah so like it took me a little bit but you you can kind of get it when like she types into google and it just comes out as gibberish (laughs) oh then we get a bit right here that just it made me laugh so hard with how out of nowhere it came the first time i saw it where junko walks into the practice room and she just sees all the girls doing like they're like doing a bit of stomp right here, just playing around with a bunch of different percussion instruments using brooms and capes and maracas and ties playing the bongos on a trash can. <laughs> They're about to have a run on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> like I I just walk I just watched this and it's like out of context, you wouldn't know what's going on right here. Don't worry, girls, keep at it. You only have Spider-Man turn off the dark to compete with. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I know the year doesn't sync up for that joke, but <laughs> it's, it's always a good day to shit on that one. Oh, yeah. In Dream are your actors so that you can, like, introduce some fucking weird Ariadne character <laughs> that wants new shoes. The goddess Ariadne is a character yeah. in Spider-Man. Fucking Spider-Man. Look it up. That play is so much weirder than people know it for. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so after this, Junko takes a little time to herself, goes up onto the roof of the mansion, and we actually get a song from her. She plays a little guitar. The song is called uh, 50 and 40 Things Left Behind. And uh, it was actually her first big hit, and she sings it when she, whenever she just needs time to think to herself. It's, it's, uh, it's very nice, a nice little uh, solo guitar song. Hmm, quite sweet. And I love the little added detail where uh, the screen transitions into 4x3 from widescreen <laughs> <laughs> to kind of show that this is the past. Another thing I love is that uh, afterwards, uh, Junko, she has a conversation with Sakura about all this. And Sakura, her head flies off her body, and then her body falls off the roof, and then Junko just has a conversation with Sakura's head just sitting next to her. <laughs> they decide to go to Ai for a little advice, but that's when they witness Shiori of Iron Frill try to recruit Ai, as she feels she's too good for Franchushu. Goes to show how little she thinks of them, but how highly she thinks of Ai. Poaching talent, uh, good strategy. And also, Iron Frill issuing a fucking challenge to Franchushu basically calling them jobbers right here Mm, yeah she kind of is and also just this really messes with junko as like she sees this whole thing go down and just and just kind of realizes like oh shit this is really serious right here 
Trying to make her go all elite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Iron Frill, once they sign I, they just have the big graphic that says, I is all Iron Frill. <laughs> all Iron. But, uh, no way I is going to join them, but uh, Junko, she just can't help but have those thoughts in her head. Like, they just kind of linger a bit inside of her. And then we do actually get a moment where Junko tries to ask I if she loved being an Iron Frill more than Franchushu, but... Uh, I doesn't give her an answer, so it's like, it adds a bit more to that, and it's just like, uh, it's a, it's a, it's sweet drama right here. It's like, you're asking a tough question there, like, did you love your ex more than you love me? <laughs> <laughs> it's on that level. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but still, it, it plays into a lot of Junko's, like, self-doubts around this time, like, it's just, it serves to add a bit more to that. So, she needs some motivation, and Kotaro is there to give it to her, and I'll splice you that into because it's actually a pretty great speech. What is it, sneaky pants? I was just, um... Are you girls prepared for the show? Uh... Yeah, I guess. But I might leave the group and join Iron Frill! Their leader, Shiori, is trying to recruit her. She had the nerve to tell I that Franz Shushu wasn't good enough for her. I don't know what we'd do without her with us. And yet at the same time, I... I think... I is more talented than we are. Blah, blah, blah. Fran Shushu isn't good enough for I? This isn't about her, baby. This is actually about you. A member's gonna pack and leave, and your tote's cool with her bailing? You mean you're just gonna sit by and let that happen? Can you accept that? You're some kind of chump. Because <gasps> that's what it sounds like you're saying to me. That you're a loser who can't hack it in the big leagues. You can't even stop your friends from leaving. Poor Junko, letting the world slip through her stupid fingers. Well, I think that is pathetic. Nobody wants to follow a failure who doesn't believe in herself. You gotta shine, sister! Go on, shred it. I've taken this axe into battle my whole life. With every kick-ass, my soul comes alive, rises from the ashes like a damned phoenix. If this mamacita keeps making sweet music, then I can greet another day. When people stand in my way, rock-blocking me with logic and rules, I just take up my weapon and thrash that trash! <sighs> That's my sweet mantra! And it's also why I'm literally never upset! Yeah, but I thought that you were super depressed just the other day. <laughs> Baby, listen to your soul! That thing's crying out to you to smash it and shred it! Shred those excuses, smash that like button, and subscribe to Rock! Don't limit yourself to one lane! If there's something that you want in this life, then rise up and take what's yours! You might be undead, but you've still got a light inside you! Shine bright, and the world will follow! Blow them to bits! Your Junko Kono! Kotaro gives her the motivation that she needs, and he also gives her his axe. His cool red electric guitar right here. <laughs> and also, Kotaro, two for two on helping Junko bring her confidence back up, because he did the same thing back in the season one. Though this time he didn't uh, kick a door down in her face to do so, and then tell her to go fix it. I mean, doors are expensive, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one thing of note here is that uh, the one phrase that he constantly uses in his speech, he wants her to smash it. He keeps telling her, smash it smash it. Keep that in mind. 
So Junko, she has a fire of the belly, but it's going to take a lot more than belly fire if they want to upstage Iron Frill and get their eye back. And then I, she even goes to Shiori and tells her, like, look, I'm not joining you. And also, don't underestimate friend Shushu. They can surprise you. Just watch them perform, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And also, we do kind of get a conclusion to the whole Kotaro leaving I out of the group for this performance right here, as she knew she was in no danger of being discovered. As instead, Kotaro just did this to boost up Junko's confidence and also help Fran Shushu so that they don't have to rely on her as much going forward. Now they can mm. truly be on her, on her level. So there was another strategy to it. Yeah, just, it's a weird way of doing things, but it's like, he's odd, but he's very smart too. There's a method to his madness. Yeah. <laughs> we get probably one of my favorite songs of the season. We get Furious Survival. this song so much and i especially love how it opens up as we just get tai on drums going full animal from the muppets right here the part when electricity becomes a part of it is like the, is the pretty hype moment for me oh yeah <laughs> and also junko she knows how to shred on a guitar it's really great <laughs> it's also at this moment where i start to realize the true beauty of franchishu as an idol group as you know they're an idol group that can cover many genres of music just outside of the traditional pop idol stuff. I do appreciate them for that. That is the one thing that actually kind of puts them ahead a little, like, slightly more ahead than Love Live for mm -hmm. me. Yeah, because, like, you know, last season you got the rap battle, and you also get, and, like, this season you got uh, rap rock right here. <laughs> and, you know, like, 
while I'm fine with them not dubbing the songs, it's this is one of the songs where it's like, I wish they dubbed this because it would have sounded great. Because, like, I know for a fact Amelie would have smashed this one. Like, this is a song that someone with a really powerful singing voice needs to be behind. And, you know, I feel Ama can match uh, Maki Kawase's strong performance right here. And uh, that's also another thing. Like, uh, both of their singing voices that, you know, going back to season one and watching season two is, like, they have very similar singing voices for Junko right here. Where, like, and also speaking voices, too, because, like, when she's talking, she's very reserved and soft-spoken, you know, voices more of in an upper register. But when she sings, it's kind of more of in a deeper tone. It's very strong and confident. Like, I kind of like that little detail right there. Yeah, quite nice. So, I, blown away by Junko's performance, and uh, we even get little flashbacks right here where we see that she even watches Junko's old stuff from back in the day, like, she, like including that song that she sang on the roof. You know, despite being the most experienced member of the group, she's still learning and taking experience from, like, uh, her senior right here. And then... <laughs> we get the conclusion to the smash it smash it runner where Junko literally takes the guitar and just smashes it right on screen <laughs> on stage after the song and then we just get a shot of like Kotaro just going like I didn't mean for you to do that <laughs> <laughs> like I thought that was like like after an awesome song you just get like probably one of the funniest bits in the show just Junko smashing this guitar right in front of Kotaro <laughs> It was metaphorical. <laughs> kind of a badass moment where she takes the broken neck of the guitar, points it at I, no words, I know is like, just like you, up here, now. And what crowd wouldn't eat that up? Oh man, like if I were in the crowd, I'd just be all hyped up like, oh yeah, get up there. It's happening all around us. <laughs> These girls are super gay, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Junko takes another piece of Kotaro's advice a little too literally, where he says, you've still got a light inside of you. Shine bright and the world will follow. So she takes that literally by taking a loose uh, cord and then electrocuting herself and then electrocuting the rest of the group so that they can all literally shine. And then we get like a techno remix of Awaken Return complete with the uh, laser light show right here. Laser light show! <laughs>
fantastic performance. Uh, but I really like this uh, remix of the song, and I do like this whole laser light show performance right here, too. <laughs> like, one of my favorite bits is, like, uh, the shot where, like, they're all surrounding Ty, and then Ty gets, like, these little laser wings right behind her, too. <laughs> yeah, it all looks fantastic. So this blows Shiori away, and uh, she realizes that uh, Franchushu, they aren't the amateurs that uh, she thought they were. And also we see a little bit of uh, her as a little kid watching Ai when she was younger, so probably the we reason why she wanted her to join. So Junko and the rest of Franchushu tell Shiori that Ai is theirs and she isn't going anywhere. And then Iron Frill declares that Franchushu is their rivals. So yeah, now we got a bit of a rival group right here. And then also we get a bit of a brick joke where Junko is seen fixing the Smash guitar, trying to glue it all back together. <laughs> Gonna need a lot more Elmers for that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I like that two-parter right there. Like a great early set of episodes after after the opening. Yeah, it's pretty strong. And also I feel that I and Junko probably have my favorite relationship in the series because I just, I just love the idea of like two idols from different eras kind of converging together and kind of working together like that. Yeah, two different eras that are in a completely, completely new era that is foreign to both of them and having to work together in that. Yeah, so it, it's really great. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's not surprising that these two got teamed up in particular for their spotlight episode. Oh, yeah. Episodes. Oh, yeah. Like, we got a bit of that last season, and I feel like this is, like, kind of the culmination of, like, their team-up episodes right it here. It kind of is. Yeah, it makes sense for these two characters. All all the other ones get, like, singular episodes for the most part. Mm, but, like, the, these two, like, like these two episodes built on what was set up last season. Like, you get, you get a little bit more of them right here. Mm -hmm. So, following up from that... Oh man, everyone's favorite little trans girl, Lily, gets the spotlight next. I do love how her spotlight episode starts, where it's like, she just completely muscles Kotaro out of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she actually takes charge in the uh, opening speech for this one. Like, we don't even get an idea as to what Kotaro originally planned. Like, he just comes walking into, into the room with, like, an inner tube and, like, a snorkel. He goes to say something, and then he just sees Lily at the podium talking to the rest of the group, and then he just goes and sulks in the corner. I perished to think that he was going to suggest swimsuit covers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find artwork of that, by the way. Official artwork of that swimsuit. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that was... Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what he... That's, that were the scraps. That was all the scraps of his ideas, yeah. though. <laughs> make, make a calendar or something. <laughs> well, you, what you see online is what is in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> in, within the canon. They immediately toss that out. <laughs> So, Lily's plan is to get more publicity by competing on Japanese Got Performance, a.k.a. Japanese America's Got Talent, <laughs> as it's a nationally broadcasted show, so uh, more eyes will be on her and Franchushu by extension. And, you know, over a year after we did Carolyn Tuesday, they were back with another talent competition show episode right here. I mean, well, well, in that series, like, the talent competition was more like an overarching thing. Yeah, it was more of a plot thing. No, just for one episode, we get to have a bit of a music competition. And uh, like I said last time, I do have a bit of a bit of a history which shows, like, America's Got Talent, because, like, I used to spend summers down in Florida, and, like, a new season would be airing around the time, and me, my mom, and my little brother, we would always watch every week and just kind of follow the different acts who we like and try to, you know, try to hope and will certain people we want to win each and every week. Yeah, my only real experience is maybe, like, one or two clips of the gong show. <laughs> but hey, there's some good performances in that. Oh, yeah, in and amongst the 
The garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also watch it for the garbage as well. Oh yeah, it's the best, especially when you just have the guy just like smashing on the gong, telling him to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> or we get Gene, Gene, the dancing machine, <laughs> and the whole point is that he gets booed off every time, <laughs> but they keep bringing him back just every time because it's a great bit. Yeah. <laughs> Though uh, for this competition show, it's kind of a shame we don't have any uh, mermaid sisters saying. Uh, Fucking bullshit. No, this is a family This is a family program. This is a family show. We got kids competing here. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, Lily does get some uh, stiff competition in the form of a famous child actor, Light Osura, played here by Steph Garrett. And look at this damn wiener kid right here. Hey, child celebrity fight. (laughs) They're about to throw hands. Just everyone in the crowd's all like Grunkle Stan. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> baby fights. <laughs> this is a baby fight episode. <laughs> I love how there's no messing about with this kid as they just immediately reveal that he's a super prick. Like he's a little MJF right here. We only have so much time in the, in the episode. We gotta get out that he's like a little prick. Like he can't do the thing where like he's a secret prick and then one of them finds out and then tells Lily about it. Like no, just immediately reveal it and then we'll go from there. Though, she's not too worried, as uh, she's got this. And also, uh, Kotaro, he tries his hand at competing <laughs> in this competition right here, where he's all like, uh, Kotaro Tatsumi, and uh, here's my impression of a mudskipper in mating season. And they just flops on the ground. Because he doesn't have anything else to do for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just does nothing. I love that so much. <laughs> he's all pissy throughout this episode that he has nothing to do. <laughs> That Lily took charge. Like, he's just boom non-factor. <laughs> <laughs> he's an afterthought in this episode. It's really refreshing. And he tries to get at least one bit in before he's just sidelined for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, but uh, then we do get Lily's performance, and she does a bit of uh, Rakugo right here. Ah, yes, Rakugo. Uh, it's, it's, ah, it's, it's hard to, it looks like it's hard to translate. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, like, whenever I see, like, those kinds of performances, like, I, I, I get it, but, like, there's also a lot of, like, wordplay at it, because it's, like, because it's, it's performative storytelling. Yeah, but it's a one-person show pretty much acting out a story, acting out all the characters by themselves, just uh, sitting on stage. And there's a lot of, like, Japanese wordplay involved as well, it's, like, all the comedy and whatnot. Like, it, it always looks kind of hard to translate. Because I because I heard there was like a uh, there's a there's a manga in circulation like today actually that um is also that also deals with like a Rakugo performance as well and I could have sworn I heard that that's also like really hard to translate all of that like comedy and all of that like clever wordplay God I can imagine that yeah but it is like an interesting art form it's it's almost like it's almost like performative poetry or it's like it's almost like an old version of like stand up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, modern stand-up is just kind of like you telling stories. For yeah, it's, it's you're you're just on a stage telling stories. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there's just like different decorum between like each one and like different elements to like how you tell the story as well. Yeah, like at the end of the day, like for this, it's like it's pretty much meant to be like serious acting right here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting art form all to itself. I'd really love to learn more about it in the future, but uh, that's what Lily goes forward with in this, and it seems to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah, she gets to uh, flex her acting talent a bit and. Uh, while it doesn't really translate well in English, like, we do get to, we at least do get to hear Sarah Wiedenhef get to, uh, pull off different voices, like, in one go as Lily right here. Although I do, I do believe she could actually, like, pull off, like, a, like, a, st- like, stand-up performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she really could. <laughs> You know, Lily just goes up on stage, hey everybody, what's the deal with lampshades? <laughs> if you want a lamp, why would you need shade? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, man, I'm feeling like a zombie these days. How about you? Woke up this morning and, boy, I was dead tired. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, this girl stinks. <laughs> uh, but uh, then Light Ozura does uh, his routine. It's a bit of a juggling routine, and he actually uses that to uh, work the crowd a bit because at one point he loses one of the bean bags, and then he's all like, no, never give up. Pull a John Cena right here. And then kind of hacky sex it up and then uh, starts juggling that too. And the crowd's all like, come on, kid, you can do it. You can do it. And to, it be, to be fair, I was thinking like juggling, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the kid does prove his talent though. Yeah. And like, you know, getting the crowd on his side, like they eat it up and he's all like, all according to plan. Even I was kind of going like, oh, you little shit. You I, dropped that on purpose. I'm just like, that was planned. <laughs> he's a real worker. Tricky kid. <laughs> Tricky little shit. Sneaky fucker. So the finals are down to Lily and Light, and both of them are singing. Because, like, when it comes to these competition shows, it always just boils down to singing. Like, more often than not, you just get a singer up there, and, like, on a rare occasion, you'll get, like, a puppeteer or, like, uh, gymnasts and stuff like that. Well, when you look at it like this, like, with singing, you're, you're assisted in the production. Yeah. Which helps to aid you. For those, for those jugglers and, like, the more, like, gymnastic type of performers, it's almost entirely, like, your... Your impetus to, like, not fuck up. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's all on you if you mess up, but, like, you get a little bit... I feel like they gotta like, get a little bit of help if you're, like, singing out there. A little bit, yeah. You know, you need something to, like, work the music and stuff. Right. By the way, I really need to shout out uh, Lily's look right here, because she kind of changes, changes outfits for, like, the singing portion. Specifically, her bow, it has, like, a white stripe in between two pink stripes. So you have that. And then you have her blue hair, so you got blue, pink, white, pink, blue. Lily, she's basically sporting the trans flag right here. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, that uh, that feels good to see. That probably made some. That probably made some very terrible people out there very angry. And it made me happy <laughs> just uh, knowing how butthurt they are. Ah, uh, that's nice to see. And yeah, to anyone who's still in denial, you're an idiot, by the way. But also, Lily Hoshikawa is fucking trans. I I think I think they've thoroughly learned to uh, shut the fuck up at this point. Yeah. So I think it's a. Uh... I think they've been thoroughly pushed to the uh, margins. They got spammed that uh, great image of Lily holding up a gun that says, Shut the fuck up, turf. Because if they get out-memed, they back away. Yeah. And also, said meme is still within uh, British Parliament, by the way. It's still in their archives. It's like, we know how to fucking play this game. <laughs> uh, but uh, Lily, she plans on singing a song that she and her papa used to sing together. And it was also her uh, mom's favorite song, too. So it's a bit, it's a, it's very sweet right there. This this is actually one of my favorite songs of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lily a lot, so like this, this song, this 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 is this scratches like the the weird itch that I like. <laughs> so before we get to her bit, we actually have a uh, light. He sings the song that she was originally going to sing called uh, "Life." Yes, a little bastard stole, stole her song, but then she improvises. And we get an amazing song right here. Then this is what I love. A song called Little Bodabop. Song? It's a new arrangement. 
Lily here doing her best impression of a uh, Scatman John. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, I didn't check ahead of time with this and stuff. This is a nonsense song, right? It is a nonsense song. There are no uh, subs for most of the song. Like she's doing a whole like ooh ee ooh ah ding ding Okay, I was I was pretty sure of that. Yeah, she's basically just up stage going ba bo ba 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 da ba 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 Scatman's world. But no, it's it's a great little scat song right here. It's also great. It's also what makes even better is that it connects with the kids in the audience too. Yeah, it's them over. Yeah. It's so bubbly and energetic, and it's like every it's it's a song that's like everything you love about Lily. Oh my god, just ah, she's just cute as a bug's ear. Ah, oh, just adorable. And just kids just jumping up, going, "I'm like, yeah, yeah," and they're all dancing too. Just trying to give everyone a fun time, even though it's utter nonsense. Yeah. But that's the fun of it. Yeah, and also better yet, at the end of the song, she dabs on him. <laughs> go look well, at. Well, there's yeah, she also does a very good like dance to go along with it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love the energy. I love the uh, the nonsense, the the absurdity of it. It's like really well improved. And even a sweeter moment as we cut to a shot of uh, her papa watching watching the uh, show too. So it's like ah, he's keeping an eye on her. Ah, uh, this is just just this episode is just too cute. It's so sugary sweet. I love it. <laughs> there can only be one winner, and it's Light Ozura. What a rip! You should all be ashamed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he ends up winning for whatever reason. If it's, if it's worth it, he he doesn't feel like he won, at least. No, yeah, he he felt like Lily should have won that, and, like, because of how she improvised on the spot right there. Like, a true performer can really do something like that, whereas him, he just came in, came in with a plan and didn't really have any room for improv or anything like that. But they do actually have a nice moment where she kind of talks him through it while uh, in the bathroom, and she kind of, like, brings up his confidence back up a little bit, saying, like, hey, you, you still earned that win, and I'm still learning, so, you know, keep at it, kid. I still say she deserved a Fortnite dance on him. Yeah. <laughs> she should have uh, greedied on him. <laughs> After she found out that knowledge. Like, wait, I was be- you thought I was better than you? But don't mind me as I floss a little oh, bit. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I'm not advocating ratioing a child. <laughs> just because they, un- they believe they underperformed. I'm just saying in certain scenarios... It's it's more than acceptable. Like, you'll pop into his uh, Twitter and just uh, quote-tweet him a little bit here. <laughs> uh, but uh, Lily may have lost, but uh, her dance has become a bit of a TikTok meme, so to say. <laughs> As we have, like, kids everywhere making videos of themselves, doing the dance and everything like that. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> uh, move over, Gritty. All we need is uh, Justin Jefferson to uh, break out this dance while after scoring a touchdown. Lily, you're viral. <laughs> Following a Lily Spotlight episode, we get a Ty Spotlight episode. How about hey, that? finally. Yeah, she didn't get one last season, so now we finally get her focus right here. And this is actually a really cute episode, just pretty much a typical day in the life of the legendary Ty Yamada right here, which uh, also I want to talk about uh, the nice little bit to start the episode off as uh, everyone kind of gets ready for their day. We do have a moment where Kotaro, he peeks into the meeting room, just tries to see if anyone's going to steal his thunder like Lily did. 
He goes, all right, it's good. And then walks in and goes like, good morning, ladies. <laughs> I, I like that little callback. A little defensive. <laughs> So yeah, basically it's just all about Ty just going through her day right here. She's just sent to go out on the little errands, and it's just her walking through the town to start the episode off, and we actually get a little song right here. How many, to imagine how many times they had to, like, drill her on this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, Ty, you are going to going to the store to get onions. Do you get that? Onions? Because last time we sent you out, you brought back, like, condoms. <laughs> <laughs> And an entire bag of gushers. <laughs> <laughs> we we need you to understand this because we need to eat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're we're gonna give you a list and send you out, and and they don't expect to get any of that food back. No. <laughs> <laughs> Though I do like this little song we get here. The song called uh, "Today Is Curry Day." Yes, 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 which is sung by. Otakonoko Mansions, and people actually thought this was sung by Kotono Mitsuishi, but unfortunately it isn't. It I isn't. mean, it, it would be your first instinct, because yeah. Tai doesn't sing. Yeah, that's what I thought too, but no, it's like a completely different person. Done. Alright, here's today's list. Are you sure you can handle this? <laughs> of course, just be careful out there. You look after her for me, Romero. But uh, one thing I do like is uh, how she's uh, walking through town and, like, everyone in town just loves her, you know, and they're all charmed by her weird zombie antics. I mean, that that was a good joke alone that worked for the for this one episode. <laughs> no, no, everyone gives her a lot of the, so much, like, all the benefit of the doubt. Like, even when she's not actually talking to anyone, they just all like, oh, Zero, you're just, you're just the best. <laughs> or, like, people just, like, talk at her and, like, they don't worry if she doesn't answer back. It's so, it's so quaint, the way she tries to nibble on, like, <laughs> on everyone's hippocampus. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were charmed by that. Like, oh, she's a biter. That just means she likes you. <laughs> Though we do get one interesting moment right here that doesn't get a follow-up, but it's kind of one that makes you think, where Ty takes a detour to a certain family grave. It is the Yamada ancestral grave, which is right next to the Minamoto family grave. Minamoto being Sakura's last name. We don't get any follow-up, but it's one of those things that really makes you wonder. Like, what's what's the plan here? Because Zamiland Saga, everything they do is very deliberate. And that is all the backstory we get for Ty this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the long game with her. Yeah. Though, if you do want to learn more about Ty, there is the... Zombieland Saga spin-off manga called uh, Zombieland Saga Gaiden, the first zombie, which does take place in the 80s, and we do actually get to see an alive tie, like see what she was like before she died. Oh, interesting. I wonder if the anime will ever get to that. Yeah, hopefully, because I feel like that's really important information. I, I haven't looked into too much of it, but uh, some things I do know that I do think is quite noticeable is like uh, Tai, she's actually from the 80s, so she's from around... Junko's time, and she actually was a big fan of Junko when she was an idol. So that can probably explain why she always goes to her and always bites her a lot, because 
subconsciously she's still very much kind of fangirling over her. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I wonder what she would have been like alive during the, the time of that bubble. Yeah, that's that's a good question. She probably would have been a Psyquist character for a young Kiryu. <laughs> <laughs> just see her in uh, Yakuza Zero just wandering around. <laughs> so then Tai bumps into Maria, the daughter of uh, Saki's old partner Reiko. And a uh, nice callback to season one as we see that she's working at a convenience store to earn enough money to get her mom a new bike after Saki destroyed it in season one. We see that uh, Maria and her friends, they even started a bit of a dance group right here, you know, inspired by Fran Shushu to get out there and perform. And then we get, we get a dance competition. <laughs> <laughs> and we get lots of cameos right here. We get the the rappers, we get the the old folks, the Sagan Chip Z lady. So here's the 411 folks. <laughs> Say some gangsters dissing your fly girl. Just give them one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's that kind of it's it's that kind of funk dancing. A little bit, but it's it's kind of great just seeing everyone out there just uh, bust a move on stage and just doing this fun little competition. Majima is about to learn breaker. Yeah, <laughs> the breaker move from all of them. Uh, the breaker form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then we also see uh, another competitor being uh, Coco the chicken from uh, Driving Tori. <laughs> <laughs> back again. Didn't expect him to come back. And it's like the more I see of him. The more I'm convinced that he's actually a giant chicken man. Because, <laughs> like, we have zombies in this world, and we also have other stuff later on. It's like, why not there be a real-life chicken guy? What, why Why is the chicken man back for a <laughs> dance competition? As much a mystery as Tai Yamada. Yeah. <laughs> you are the worst dancer I have ever seen! <laughs> Guys, you look like human guys, but you're not a man, you're a chicken boo. <laughs> 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 I love the dancing minigame from Yakuza Zero. <laughs> Tayabata breaks out the fan. <laughs> Bonus points. Six combo. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> it's literally a dance hall. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Tai, like, she gets the big win by doing the uh, Futurama septuple head spin. Oh, no one expected that move. Crazy sucker. They actually think she's moving so fast that it looks like her head's in place. Yeah, but no, like her head's in place and then her body's just spinning around. <laughs> And then Coco, he's all like, you bested me, Tai Yamada. I concede to you. I love her so much. Oh, she's just... 
she's just every kind of wonderful. Like, <laughs> without Ty, I don't know if the show would be as good as, as it is. She does so much by doing so little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only they could have Kotonomi Tsuishi on stage during live performances just lurch around like Ty while everyone else is singing and dancing. Like, just it'd be perfect. I don't know where bring in the chicken man and yeah. then start funk dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just get a guy in a chicken suit. <laughs> But Tai wins the grand prize of 30,000 yen and a bag of onions. But uh, she doesn't actually want the money. She keeps trying to throw it away. But then Maria's like, no, this is a lot of money. Keep it. <laughs> well, give me the onions. And then she's like, <laughs> <laughs> Need that for curry. But then Bastard Cop sees this and takes her, Maria, and her friends to the local boat races, which are actually real. <laughs> As a, yeah, Saga just has these boat races. I mean, they race everything in this world. Like, yeah. why, why would why would boats be any different? Yeah, why not? You know, I would say I would much rather watch a boat race than a horse race, if I'm going to be honest with you. Although I think we're burying the lead here that, like, an officer of the law is, like, <laughs> taking <laughs> advantage of young girls to bet their money on boats. Teaching kids how to gamble <laughs> <laughs> while he's on the clock. Uh, Saga's finest. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it be Saga or America, ACAB. <laughs> Uh, but we see here that uh, Misa, the leader of the rival biker gang from season one, actually took up boat racing after she lost to Saki. And we find out that she's not really great at it, as she's never really won a race thus far. When she sees Maria in the crowd cheering her on, she actually uses that as motivation to actually win this race. And it turns out that Ty accidentally placed a big bet on this race, as we get a bit where she's using the card to make a bet. She sneezes out ink after sucking the pen and actually makes the bet for her. <laughs> And then she actually ends up winning 20 million yen on this bet right here. Well, no debt troubles anymore. And then, uh, so they go back to uh, the mansion and uh, Ty gives him the money and the onions. And then we get a moment where Sakura ends up accidentally knocking Ty's head off. And during this whole episode, we see the reporter, Arta Okuba, who is from season one, who's been kind of sus about Franchishu ever since then. He's, he was spying on Ty this entire time. Trying to look for any leads on Franchishu. He was about to give up. But then he saw this moment of Sakura knocking her head off. And he's all like, oh, these girls are dead. And he's like, oh, okay. So so that's that's a big plot development. You thought it was just going to be Tai, tai Yamada off on like, some like like dumb adventure. <laughs> like, no, it does actually progress the plot a little bit here. Yeah, we have this reporter now. We, we've, got the, we've got the money, but now the, the secret's kind of out. Yep, we have this reporter now really starting to suss out Franchishu right here. And this actually brings us to the halfway point of season two. We're gonna take a break right here, and we'll be right back with the second half of Zombieland Saga Revenge. You. you feel the fog as I cloud your mind. You get dizzy when I make the sign. You wake up in the dead of night, missing
yakitori plate or a chicken rice bowl. Healthy and delicious salads too. Great service with a smile. Stop by and stay a while. Yay! Drive and dine and take it to go from Saga to your home. Every day is yummy. I try. You don't want to waste your life like that, do you though? I can always feel a strong wind blowing through, blowing everywhere no matter what I do. Grab onto that breeze and hold on tight. Never let go. Don't be shy. There's nothing to be so embarrassed about. Go, boys and girls. You It's fake. back with the second half of Zombieland Saga Revenge. As uh, we open up the second half as uh, we get an episode all about Ron Shushu's biggest fan as we are introduced to Mai Mai Yuzuriha played here by Shiremi Lee. An unlucky girl but someone who's just very super chipper about life and everything. Like case in point the first time we see her she's skipping down the street singing one of Ron Shushu's songs, trips, falls flat on her face, breaks her glasses, then she Picks him back up, looks at him and goes, Oh, they're kaleidoscopes now. <laughs> so we see her take a trip to the local bathhouse, but uh, since she's not wearing her glasses, she accidentally walks into the men's bath where Kotaro is, and he accidentally drops a bar of soap. She runs in, steps on it, slips on it, and we get a redo of the opening scene of season one. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately gears you up like, oh boy, is someone, oh fuck, is someone else going to die? Here comes another one. <laughs> <laughs> just this full on heavy metal death growl, just, as we just see this girl fly into the air and land flat on her back. 
So Mai Mai is presumably dead, and Kotaro thinks he killed her. Yeah, this 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 killed me. <laughs> Which means say hello to Franchushu member number seven. <laughs> <laughs> the way he does it, he's so mealy mouthed about it. Like, well, I guess we're gonna have a new member now. Yeah, because he like brings her in wrapped up in like a towel, drops her in front of the girls in the meeting room. He's like. Hey, girls, meet your new team member. Uh, I love this kind of black, black humor. <laughs> and they're all like, wait, what happened? What was going on in the bathhouse? He's like, uh, just stuff happened and uh, someone died. But now, hey, new new team member. <laughs> hey, girls, want to help you cover up a murder? <laughs> Only problem is, uh, Mai Mai, she didn't die. She was just knocked out. So Kotaro didn't kill her. He just uh, kidnapped her. There's a difference. So after a bit of a freak out right here, Mai Mai immediately cops that they're all Franchushu. And then the girls recognize her too, as she's always in the crowd at all of their shows. Which is true, by the way. I went back and looked at some past concert footage, and you can actually see her in the crowd, this little girl with uh, bushy hair and glasses. Wow, that's actually some really good setup, because I certainly never noticed that. <laughs> One scene where you can really see her is in the opening scene of uh, Season 2, where during the brawl you can actually see her ducking under people flying through the air. <laughs> I, li I like that kind of setup. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a nice little attention detail. Like, it makes me wonder, did they plan her to be a character from the beginning, or did someone on the team notice that this one extra actually had a really cute design and wanted to make something with her? Mm, I, I would kind of go with the latter on that one. That's my opinion. Yeah, I kind of believe that too. And, and I'll get more into that with, like, how I think this uh, episode was handled near the end. So, my my, she's totally cool with the whole zombie revelation. She's just all like, oh, you're dead? Neat. But uh, she's going to keep their secret. It's safe with her. Then she gets an idea, which leads to a little quirk that I kind of like, where she goes, ka-ching, anytime she thinks of something, as uh, she'll keep their secret if they let her join up with Franchushi right here. But uh, she's not very good at the idol stuff. Like, she knows the songs front and back and knows the dance moves, but she can't actually perform them when she is expected to. She's passionate, and her energy is very infectious, so there's no denying that. But we do get to see that uh, Fran Shushu did inspire her a little bit. You know, she wants to shine just like them, and she's actually very similar to Sakura in a way. So we find out that Mai Mai, she, her school is doing a school festival, and ka-ching, she's got an idea for a show, as Fran Shushu will perform at the festival in order to get that crucial teen demographic right here. I mean, teen demographic of one high school. Of yeah, one high school. <laughs> but they can talk and tweet and TikTok about it, so they'll they'll get others. I mean, they're also very starved for starved for performances at this point. Yeah, because like, there's a bit where they're discussing what to do at the festival, and they all come up with really lame ideas. <laughs> and also, Kotaro, he does bring up a good point where like a lot of their current fans are mostly misfits and weirdos from town, so like... Hey, getting some high schoolers in on them will probably be a good idea. Trying to get some, trying to broaden their appeal with this whole performance. Outside of like heavy metal rockers, uh, little kids and bikers and old people. So around this time we start to look like uh, Mai Mai, she really starts to really understand Fran Shushu a bit more, you know, understand their drive, their passion, despite all the obstacles that come in their way, because Lord knows there's a ton of obstacles that come in their way, but they just managed to fight through all of that and, you know, live out their best undead lives right here. And we do get the performance of the episode, to be honest with you, and it's actually really quite nice he actually gets to perform with them. Huh? Who's that? They've got a new member.
And she actually got animated into the group as well. Yeah, and the CG models. Yeah, that, she... that 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 was weird to me. Yeah, she got her own little CG model. It's like, wow, you actually bothered to do that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and also, I, I think this is a cute song. You know, perfect for my mind. Matches her perky energy. Yeah, it's not too bad. And they actually want to make her a full time member, but then as soon as they make her a member, she immediately retires from the group. So what's going on here? I mean, if, I'm, I will say right now, this was. Like really predictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it actually is. Like, you can't really go adding new characters, especially in a story like this. No, no, especially when they weren't in the promo material beforehand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, instead of pursuing an idle career, Mai Mai just wants to live her best life in Saga, as she's inspired by Franchushu to make the most of uh, her life, as uh, they made the most of like their short lives and afterlives here. But I, th- I thought for like a predictable one-off, I thought she was kind of a... A fun character to have for a short amount of time. I mean, time. yeah, she was cute and fun, but, like, the whole time I was kind of thinking, like, like where are you go? Like, where is this plot trying to go with this? Because I, I, I thought the whole episode was like, I know she's not going to join. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> like, because they even do the whole bit where, like, she's not good at it, but then she gets good at it. <laughs> and she can perform alongside them. And it's like, she does the performance just fine, I guess. But then I'm like, well, where are you going with this? And so then I was thinking, like, is she going to help manage the team, like, alongside Kotaro? Because I could see that. Yeah, that would have been actually an idea. I could have actually seen that, where, like, she doesn't perform, but, like, she helps, like, arrange shows and stuff. Because God knows Kotaro could maybe use some help. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who doesn't yell at them and call them stupid zombies. Another fellow human. Yeah. Who can, like, help manage the team and help keep things under control. Also another girl, because someone who can understand them. Right, right. Someone a bit more normal, because Kotaro is really hard to deal with at yeah. times. <laughs> She probably, like, Mai Mai could have helped, could have, um, dealt more easily with his BS. <laughs> but, uh, but no, then it just ends, like, a little more predictably than I expected, where, like, yeah, she just does just drop out of the team, and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, by the end I was like, wait, what, what was, I was trying to, like, trying to manage, like, what was the point of all this? I think like, I, what was the point of telling this story? I think I might have figured it out while watching this the second time around, because, uh, Zombieland Saga, like, you know, other than being, like, this kind of, uh, love letter to saga and everything it's also a bit of a love letter to uh idols and idol anime and also like a music anime too where and uh one of the typical typical angles you see in music anime is always uh you always get like the new member who joins mid-season and stuff like that you know like azusa joining the like the light music club in Kaon midway through season one so i feel like this was there kind of uh doing a little something like that paying a little lip service to like that whole angle and also the angle of like you know members leaving and everything like you know how the third years leave at the end of each love life season right right so okay from that angle i could maybe understand uh tackling an episode like this just just getting getting out of the way to show that they they could do that 
but they're not like other yeah. idol anime. Yeah, you know. We've got a main cast. We want to stick with it. You know, pay a little lip service to the uh, the angle scene in, like, other shows, but also kind of, like, do their own spin on it, kind of pull a little satire on it, just say, like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not sticking with this. And remind and remind all of the Mark fans out there that, like, no, you never will become a member of the group. <laughs> You are not like us. You are not good enough to dance around with these zombie idols, kid. <laughs> no matter how comically big your tits are. <laughs> you know, you can have all those fantasies being all like, oh man, I can't wait for, I don't know, BTS to invite me on stage and sing with them. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> like, they're going to war anyway, but like, even if they weren't, not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, after the uh, episode with Mai Mai here, we actually start really ramping things up for this uh, back half of the season as well. We kick it off with a two-parter where we get some serious lore about Zombieland Saga. Now this two-parter is really interesting. And one of the biggest things we get is Yugiri's backstory. I think out of all of the zombie girls, it's like Yugiri and Tai were like the two characters I really wanted to learn more about because we didn't get too much in season one. In season one, you didn't really hear anything about Yugiri's past or anything. I mean, there was there was a lot to imply, given that she had a very noticeable uh, scar around her neck. Yep. <laughs> so, fans had questions about that. And knowing the time period she came from, and you kind of piece like, okay, how could you get that scar on your neck? And how does that relate to who you are? And like, oh, it's, this could be tragic. Probably, probably rhymes with a schmapital schmonishment. <laughs> but I will say, as soon as I saw the title of this two-parter, which is called uh, Saga Incidents, and uh, because I knew we were going to get some background on the show, and I knew, I also knew, like, what song we were going to get at the end of it, I'm just like, oh, I'm so ready for this. This is going to be great. It's all about uh, Yugiri, how she began a new life in Saga. She was, uh, she started off as a courtesan Orion in, like, another part of Japan, and she was bought out, and now she, the person who bought her out, passed away and uh, gave her an inheritance and now she's just living the rest of her life peacefully in Saga. I honestly don't, I will say ahead of time right now, I don't, I won't have a whole lot to uh, comment on with this, with this two-parter as well, because it's a lot of history. <laughs> it's a lot of context. <laughs> and there aren't really any jokes in, in this two-parter. There is one fun little bit in the first part of this two-parter where we see uh, little cameos from all the, the other Franchishu members as like, different citizens all around town well yeah there is that element that almost makes it feel like a play out of history but like mm -hmm. it, this two-parter is actually the most serious that the series has taken itself so far oh 100 serious and I, and I don't really feel like cracking jokes about it very much oh yeah but i will say like, but i'm getting ahead of myself yeah but i will say that like it's at this moment where like i loved all of this but also i had to remind myself that this is a show about zombie idols and we're tackling some really heavy shit right here but it's actually amazing. Like, I actually really commend them for doing that. So this is all about a guy named Kiichi Momozaki, played by Rico Fajardo, pulling double duty right here, as he's uh, handing out flyers trying to spread the word of independence for Saga, as at this time Saga has been absorbed into Nagasaki following the Saga Rebellion. Uh, see our Season 1 episode for more history lessons on Saga. I give a little bit of background on that. And by the way, Kiichi has the same actor as Kotaro, both in English and in Japanese, because Japanese played by uh, Mamoru Miyano. And this was very much done intentionally. It's like, okay, yeah, ancestor. <laughs> and we also meet his friend, uh, Shojiro Ito, played here by Adam Gibbs. And uh, he's the kind of guy who's always there to protect Keiichi whenever he gets himself into trouble, because running around, handing out flyers, you know, trying to spread the word of Saga Independence could isn't really, uh, isn't really a good thing around here. Like, you will get hassled by the cops. 
But then we do get a nice moment when Keiichi and Yugiri have a bit of a meet-cute here, you know? Just, uh, they two, these two meet by the riverside, and Keiichi is, like, definitely smitten by her. Later on, Keiichi goes to Yugiri, gives her a comb for, uh, helping him out a little bit earlier. And, uh, this comb, we actually do see as far back as season one. Like, anytime Yugiri's combing her hair, it's that same one, so she kept it with her this whole entire time. And it's, uh, it's, like, historical importance. Yeah, and, uh, it's another thing where it's, like, they've really been sitting on this one for a while, and, like, I feel like they were glad to finally reveal the origin of that. So the next day, Yugiri goes to see Keiichi, and then she meets Jofuku, the same guy from the bar, who's also Keiichi's grandfather. So combined with the whole ancestry thing, you can kind of feel like, okay, there's a, there's a bit of a deeper connection between him and Kotaro even down the line. Sneaky alchemists. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they, know, they know how to get around in history. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and uh, while talking to Yugiri, Keiichi brings up some info on his grandfather, specifically talking about how he could raise the dead if he had his old powers back and also we also even see little Ramiro the dog running around here too so combine those two things are starting to come together right now like this is the most lore heavy two-parter of the entire series like we learn more about him as uh, the loss of Saga being absorbed into, into uh, Nagasaki really hit him hard and now he decided to pass on the quest of saving Saga down to Keiichi but at the same time, you just f see that he's kind of lost the will to live. Like, he says that he is Saga, Saga is him, basically saying that his life will always belong to Saga, and he doesn't want to live in a world without it. Like, and also we see that he's very sickly, like, he could pretty much up and die at any moment, but Yugiri's always there to give him some medicine, which is also a bit of a callback to season one. Like, he did say that Yugiri saved his life back in the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Keiichi wants to create a new saga where anyone can choose their path of life no matter where their status is. Like, he wants to bring this new progressive saga to the world. Like, not only achieve their independence, but have it be a safe haven for anyone who wants to come from any walks of life. And Yugiri, hearing about this, she's very moved by this. Like, she really wants him to see his dream to the very end. And eventually, Yugiri meets Ito, and the two have an interesting conversation about Keiichi. Both of them care about him a lot, but they both have differing opinions about his quest to save Saga. Ito feels it's kind of a waste of time since the world is continually changing and you shouldn't bother to cling to the past, and this country isn't really ready for the Saga that Keiichi wants at the moment. While Yugiri, on the other hand, supports Keiichi's goal, you know, someone who's willing to go this far despite all the odds stacked against them just for the sake of the people and the future generations is something that she really greatly admires, and she wants to live in this uh, progressive Saga that he dreams about. Eventually, after a while, Keiichi is going through trying to get people to uh, understand uh, Saga independence, and this actually catches the attention of a group of like-minded samurai. So Keiichi, he gets some comrades here to help him out with his cause, but you can tell these guys aren't going to do things civilly and peacefully. They have ulterior ways of trying to get what they want. I mean, a lot, lot of samurai revolts around this time. You yeah. can put two and two together. Yeah, and like... Keiichi, he got roped into the situation that that is far bigger than he thinks. He thinks that it's going to be as simple as putting a petition together and uh, sending it off to the government, pleading their case, but these samurai, they have other ways of trying to get these things. It's hard to wrangle a bunch of pissed-off samurai that were stripped of their, like, statuses. Yeah, and these samurai, they, they were survivors of the Saga Rebellion, so these wounds are very fresh in their minds. And Ito, he is seeing this coming from a mile away. He knows that Keiichi is going to get hurt because of what he's doing right here. And he tries to warn him about it, but Keiichi is still determined to see this through. Like, he's hoping that maybe he can turn his comrades down the peaceful path. You know, maybe he can stop them before things start to get worse. 
But Ito just feels that he's very delusional, and if this goes any further, Kichi is going to get labeled a criminal. Ito wants Kichi to run away with Yugiri, he wants her to protect him, but he's going to stick around, see it through to the end, and this is where things start to get really intense and heavy. So that night, Ito confronts the samurai, and then kills them all before they can plan, before they can carry out their insurrection right here. Ah, government assassin! Yep, he is a government assassin sent to watch over Keiichi to kind of keep him from doing stuff like this. So Keiichi sees this, and then Ito tries to silence him. He didn't want it to turn out this way, but because things started to go too far, he had to step in before they got worse. Before delivering a killing blow, Yugiri, she steps in and saves Keiichi, and she does so with a a blade hidden within the neck of a shamisen, which is awesome. Now I gotta, I gotta, I gotta question. This is <laughs> this is just me and my brain working. I got a question if someone on the uh, staff was a big fan of the uh, the uh, post apocalyptic film Six String Samurai because that's like <laughs> a thing in that film. <laughs> it's, it's a very weird film about a guy who looks like Elvis Costello, <laughs> like <laughs> trying to trying to uh, pr- walk across a wasteland to uh, Lost Vegas. <laughs> Where he plans to become the new king of that place. <laughs> and he carries on his back a guitar that has like a sword attached to it that he pulls out. With like the, the, the guitar acting like as a sheath and stuff. <laughs> so I wonder if anyone on the staff of that anime was a fan of that film. I could see that happening because this crew seems like the kind of crew who's just really into really weird obscure shit. <laughs> it's, I, I'm, just, I'm just very glad I, I, I caught a hold of that. Because that, that looked pretty cool in the anime. Yeah. Though, they could also be a fan of, uh, what's that film called? Uh, guitar Wolf? Because, like, he has, like, a bit of a guitar sword, too. Ah, oh, you know, I really wish you didn't bring up Guitar Wolf, because I'm going to bring up Guitar Wolf at the end of this podcast. Ah. <laughs> okay, got that. <laughs> no, you can keep that if okay. you want. <laughs> I just want to let you know, like, I had planned ahead for that. Okay, okay. <laughs> But uh, we get uh, Yugiri and Kiichi, they run away, and uh, we get their final moment together, and I will splicey that in. It's my fault! All mine! I stirred this whole thing up, and now everyone is dead! I'm a fool! I can't create a new saga! Please, just go. They're only after me, and I don't care anymore. You don't have to die. <sighs> I've heard enough whining, Lord Kichi. While it may be true that this dream you've been chasing after is childish at best and impossible at worst, that dream was the catalyst that finally began to bring actual change. And now you have a responsibility to see it through to the end. Many of the hearts you inspired are no longer beating. (laughs) So you must ensure that your dream comes true or their lives will have been lost for nothing. You truly believe that a new saga would bring back the way of life we long for, don't you? Even when you were mocked for it, you had faith and pressed on. If you turn your back on that, your efforts will be wasted. Go through Mitsusei Pass, then take a boat from Hakata to Nagasaki. After that, read the letter, and then you'll know what to do. I've asked a few of my oldest friends to assist you. Trust me, if you have their support, then no one will ever harm you. Even the government can't touch you. It's not much, but it's all that I can offer. After you survive this, the next step will be up to you. 
Lord, I long to see the saga that only you could create. Make me proud. I swear, on my very life, I'll establish a new saga. It'll be everything we dreamed of. Two things. One, we get the first of many slaps from uh, Yugiri right here. Like, this is where it all began. But unlike uh, her slaps to Sakura and Kotaro in Season 1, she's actually she's actually knocking some sense into someone who really needs it. And they actually do play it seriously right here. Like, I think after being used as a running gag in Season 1, like, playing it seriously actually makes it much more impactful, so I dug that. And two, Keiichi was willing to give up after seeing how much pain and bloodshed his dream caused. But Yugiri was able to encourage him to keep fighting for his dream. And she even pulled some strings to have him protected, as uh, she had some, like, old... Uh, clients back in the day who uh, work in the government so she sent some messages off to them to like ensure like hey leave this guy alone make sure he doesn't get hassled by cops or anything like that so that uh, he can keep going without worrying about being uh, persecuted Yugiri wants Keiichi to create this brand new saga you know keep that dream alive he escapes and Yugiri and Ito have one final duel and I love how this is booked regular samurai duel the single slash everything goes silent Cut to a shot of Yugiri, has a shocked look on her face. Cut to Ito, has a smile. Ito falls forward. He got slashed, and Yugiri was just shocked that she actually killed him right then and there. It's a good, well-set-up confrontation. And he's allowed himself to be killed out of respect for Keiji's ideals, as if he lived, then he'd be forced to pursue him, but now Keiji can continue on without any issue, as deep down, despite being government assassin, set to kill him for possibly planning an insurrection. Yeah, she's really did honestly care about him. Like, all that time he spent with them, taking the photo and everything like that, he actually really liked Keiichi and, like, wanted to, to see him live on. And uh, Yugiri, the, the only member of Fronshushu that has a body count, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, she has killed before. Like, I'm sure Saki... And no one knows. <laughs> like, I'm sure Saki has beaten up a bunch of guys, but she's never actually killed anyone. Oh my god. <laughs> and I will also splice in Yugiri's letter to Jofuku and her death. By the time this letter finds its way into your hands, it's more than probable I am no longer alive. A few of my old acquaintances have agreed to look after Lord Kiichi going forward. However, after the blood that's been spilled, and with the increasing signs of rebellion in Saga, someone must accept the responsibility and be punished. In the end, this entire incident, as well as my own involvement in it, will be treated as though it never happened. If Lord Kiichi inquires about me, please tell him that I was able to depart from Saga safely. As for you, if you truly are Saga itself, I trust that you will be a courageous guide for the new land that Lord Kiichi creates. Bring Saga into the future. That's how Yugiri died. 
She died taking the fall for Keiichi so that she could protect him and ensure Saga's future. In a sense, Yugiri saved Saga. Got, got the final sentence in the end. Decapitation. Yep, that's how she died. And it's like, ah, it all it all comes back around. And it's like, we knew it had to have been something like this, but seeing it actually happen is like, eh, it's, it's rough. And soon after this, Saga gained its independence. We see it in the little title card. So Keiichi actually did it. Not too long after this happened. Fast forward back to present time as we get another one of my favorite songs of season of season two, and one that I was really looking forward to. Saga Incidents. Saga. Now th- this was my other favorite of the season. <laughs> right, right. It's it's like on par with Lily's, actually. Oh, it, it's an amazing song. I love like I talked about how Fran Shishu covers different genres, you know, rap, rap rock, pop, pop idol. But now we got big band music right here. Like ah, oh, that's up my alley. <laughs> like that's what I like. <laughs> Feels like a performance straight out of Chicago. <laughs> oh yeah. I would also say uh, the uh, the Coco Bongo scenes in The Mask too. A bit. Like, I would I would really wish they could have gone further with this and just have, like, have it, like, in a nightclub and then have, like, a big band just, like, off to the side playing them. Mm, it was quite nice. Very good performance. And uh, this was a song that they actually released as a music video in between seasons. So, like, when that got released, I was like, oh, please let this be in the series. It's such a good song. And then when I saw that the title of this two-parter was Saga Incidents, I'm just like, yes, we're going to get the song. Uh, wish granted. <laughs> and also, uh, for those of you out there... I highly, highly recommend checking out the live performance of this song. As uh, Yugiri Seiyu, Rika Kinugawa, absolutely nails this performance. 
Like, she even talked about it in an interview where she says she basically blacked out and just let Yugiri take over her body. Mmm, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I was not able to check that out, but I will need to. Yeah, and also she says that uh, in real life she's a very shy, reserved person. You know, when she starts performing as Yugiri, very strong, confident, sexy lady, like, she just, like, gets into that zone, and it's like, you can see that. Interesting. I didn't know that dynamic existed between her and the character. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. And we even get a bit of a bittersweet ending as Yugiri and Jofuku chat and reminisce a little bit about Keiichi. You know, seeing that Yugiri's happy to have been given this chance to see the saga that he created, and is now carrying that torch to the present. But uh, you can kind of sense a bit of sadness as maybe she, she wishes... He could have seen things like how she can right now. And it's like, ah, uh, it's, mm. it's very nice, but also it's like that twinge of sadness right there. But there's also a bit of hope because uh, clearly uh, his ancestor is around today. Yep. Still trying to do the best for, for Saga. Yep, and like, you know, she's carrying that torch too, so it's like keeping that dream alive for everyone. It helps that Kodoro acts nothing like his ancestor, no. so <laughs> the, the smoke screen is well and fully up. You know, I, I don't expect Keiichi to, like, scream at the girls calling them Easy Breezy Zombiesies. No, not at all. That two-parter is probably, like, some of my favorite stuff from season two. I love that. I was actually impressed with the writing of it. It was actually legitimately good. I did not I did not expect the writers of Zombieland Saga to actually do, like, a little historical drama here. Right? A series about zombie idols doing this really serious two-parter right here, and they nailed it. I was actually quite impressed with it. I was very truly impressed. Like, stuff like that is why I really love Zombieland Saga in general. Like, the ability to, like, cover a wide range of, like, different episodes and different, like, moods. You know, you can do wacky town comedy, or you can do, like, very serious drama. It's like, it all works together. It doesn't feel out of place whatsoever. This was, And it was also the two-parter that cemented that, like, the other angle that I was, that I've kind of come to with this series, which it's that it's not just about zombie idols. It's, it's about the story of Saga. Yes, this firmly cements it as a Saga story. Yeah, this is, the, the setting is way more important than you originally thought. <laughs> yeah. To this overall project. Which then leads us into endgame territory right here. As Franchushu is gearing up to give EFS another shot, but uh, we do see that uh, Okuba is also hot on their trail too, so we got they got to deal with that. But before getting into uh, their revenge plan right here, we actually get a flashback to the events leading up to the first EFS concert, which straight after Arpino, like no messing about, they jumped right into this after the end of season one. Yeah, so now we're finally getting the, getting the full story here about why they're on this revenge journey. As Kotaro, he set up this concert at this big. EFS Stadium, which is actually a real-life stadium home to, like, a local Saga football club. They all talk about the risks of doing a big stadium show, trying to jam 30,000 people into a single arena when, like, at most they've only gotten, like, maybe a couple hundred people. But it, they decided to take this chance because, hey, they've gotten this far on chance alone. Like, that Arpino concert was more or less a disaster, but they salvaged it in the end. So why not shoot with stars? Shoot for something bigger. It's just too bad that Kodoro took all took out all of the ad space on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> all that all that yen on Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> but like, I do actually like the lead up to this uh, during this flashback because this actually has the makings of like what you'd see in a music anime. You know, the lead up to like the big blowout finale right here. Like, this is the you know odds are against them. There's no room for failure, but they're gonna go for it. And like, usually these things. These things have a way of working out in the end. It uh, reminded me a bit of uh, Beck, you know, that climax where, like, they had their finest hour at the Grateful Rock show. 
and like how everything was up against them but like it just kept building and building and building but unfortunately there are no other concerts around to poach uh viewers from no as uh, we all know what happened and they don't get their beck moment they bombed Harder than anyone has ever bombed before. Yeah, damn. They they were they were getting like a Trump crowd there, like, <laughs> <laughs> like a post Biden Trump crowd. Yeah. Trump crowd. <laughs> After hearing about this event through uh, quick flashbacks and asides, you know they kind of played off for laughs earlier on, but actually seeing it in full context, it's actually really sad and heartbreaking. Like all of their hard work up to that point just kind of went away for this pittance of a concert right here and even like their loyalist fans don't even cheer during their concert they're just all like should we even be here right now do we even want to ask for an encore and they're like no just just let them leave like even after they finish front shoot they just up and leave heads down sulking away no thanks for coming no goodbyes just not even a pity clap yeah no <laughs> not even a that just everyone just wanted it to be done and just go home you know, just leave with as much dignity as you have left. Can I, can I tell a brief tangent? Oh, real go quick? ahead. <laughs> this, you can include this. Okay. <laughs> but uh, when, when a little while, a little while ago, uh, I, I attempted uh, some stand-up comedy for the first time because, because in my experience as of late, like seeing some like stand, some of the local stand-up comics and what they have to offer. You get a good mix of, like, people who are genuinely good and, like, some people who get pity pity claps. Most of, most of the bad ones or, like, the unskilled ones are, like, just, you know, just some people who just don't maybe have, like, the best material that week or something. Or it's, like, maybe their skill level isn't too high. They almost always get uh, pity, pity claps at some point. On the night that I went to uh, my bit, uh, there was one guy who got who went up there. And, uh, you know, I was pretty nice to most people there, even giving, like, some good laughs to, like, some of the other more, like, awkward performers, because, you know, like, it's a pretty brave thing to go up there, but one guy went, uh, one guy went up there, and, uh, and I was, like, right in the front row, by the way. <laughs> I was right in the front, front row, and I was, you know, having, like, giddy little laughs at some jokes that, there that night that were, uh, not doing well, and, like, giving some, like, little, um... Little, like, small claps, you know, like, the ones that, like, maybe didn't hit so hard, you know? I was trying to be nice to some people. Give them a bit of a pity pop. I mean, well, I was trying <laughs> yeah. to be nice, nice you know? Because, yeah, yeah. like, not not everyone is, like, gonna, like, do their best or something. Or they may not, like, not all the material is going to hit. But, like, I, I try to commend the effort to even go up there and even attempt it. Right. Because I was doing the same thing. Going right. up there and hoping to not bomb. <laughs> which is the most you can ever hope. But, like, this one guy <laughs> went up there and his entire bit was just... Louis C.K. jokes. Oh no! And they were not not just not just Louis C.K. jokes in 2022, but jokes at the expense of his victims. Oh no! Or make or making light of the victims, and no one gave pity claps to that guy. <laughs> no one laughed. <laughs> Least of all me. Oh boy! I just I sat there <laughs> with this guy right in front of me. I'm talking like. Where we are right now <laughs> Which for is this like podcast. Less than two feet. Yeah, less than two feet. <laughs> I sat there, gave no pity claps, gave no pity laughter, and the guy just bombed for the entire set. Oh. I can feel safe that night knowing that I did good stand-up comedy because I did better than that guy. <laughs> I did way better than that guy, and I felt so much better about myself that night. I almost wanted to thank that guy. 
Thanks for sucking ass. Thanks for sucking ass. So I felt so much better about myself. <laughs> like, man, you. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll that that'll that'll make you that'll make you bomb harder than anyone else that night. <laughs> if you're gonna go up there with Louis C.K. victim jokes in 2022, Jesus. So yeah, that's when you brought. I, I just had to bring that up as a little <laughs> tangent because we were talking about Franz Shushu bombing. <laughs> hey, they did better than like the 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 Louis C.K. victim joke guy in 2022. Yeah, I mean, at least their crowd chose to stay there. Like your crowd probably had to stay there. Yeah, they were at least there for Franchushu at least. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> they still got like the regular old performance there. Yeah, <laughs> they were just you know stingy about like the venue and like mm-hmm. the crowd. <laughs> and you know, just the whole situation was just awkward, and you don't you don't feel like you could make any noise. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's my stand-up bombing. That's my stand-up bombing story. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, this whole thing is rough on everyone, and especially on I, as EFS was the same stadium where she got electrocuted and died. So she died. She died a second time. <laughs> instead of getting instead of getting fried, she bombed. <laughs> so back in the present, Franchushu is set to seek the revenge. Let's get a bit of a weird scene I want to bring up where Kotoro is found washed up on the shore surrounded by squids. It's like, it's kind of a weird aside and then just like run, goes straight into him like rallying the troops for like the next big concert. Yeah, that wasn't really explain. Was he on a bender like in the ocean with squids? Maybe, though I would think he'd probably quit drinking after getting the, getting back his mojo. Yeah, that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of an odd little moment. But considering how a lot of the stuff in the show is very deliberate, I wouldn't be surprised if they call back to this in a future project. Mm, I could see it. I could definitely see like, that. I'm sure there's an explanation if you fish for it. Although, shout out to that quick joke where, like, he comes out of the water covered in squid and then gets, like, harassed by kestrels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they take his jacket and they fly off with it. And, yeah. he's just, and then he's just like, oh, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just keeps walking. And then Okuba's uh, reporter friend is all like, yeah, I'm going to go find a squid man. <laughs> Later on, we get a scene where Kotaro comes face-to-face with Okuba, and he lets Kotaro know that he knows everything about Franchishu. He knows what their deal is. He knows all about them being zombies. And uh, at one point, he also deadnames Lily, and I'm just all like, not cool, dude. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. Like, I really wish Kotaro would have, like, snapped at him and say, hey, don't say that name. Yeah. But he also believes that uh, Kotaro is exploiting them for profit, and he plans on shutting this whole thing down, but... Kotaro, he isn't going to budge because he knows he needs this EFS concert to happen if he is going to save Saga. This concert is super integral to the Zombieland Saga plan. At this point, I'm just all like, oh, they're really building up to a grand finale right here. Like, even more so than season one with, like, Sakura and her, like, kind of regaining her memories. Like, that was good, but this is, this is bigger and even better. There's a lot, there's a lot more on the line here. Like, this could all, like, make or break the group. And also, we get some more info on Kotaro's relationship with Jofuku, as he tells a story about how, 12 years ago, Jofuku found Kotaro and said that he was a gloomy, half-crazed kid, and at that moment, he told him all about his ability to bring people back from the dead, and entrusted the goal of saving Saga to him. And using a lot of context clues, you can probably guess how this whole meeting went down. Think about it. What happened 12 years ago from... 2020 in this moment that was when sakura died after that happened kotaro inui is a actual name presumably ran away feeling so distraught and saddened by her death that he eventually ran into jofuku 
he told him that he could raise the dead. So in exchange for taking on this quest to save Saga, Jofuku brought Sakura back to life. So now we've got necromancy. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> but it's also kind of sweet that Kotaro, he did all of this just because he just wanted to see the girl he liked once again. And like he specifically chose an idol plan, no less, because he knew she wanted to be an idol. Like, that was the last thing that she was doing. She was going to hand off, like, uh, a submission form for, like, an idol group. But now, Kotaro has to keep up his end of the deal, as otherwise, this dark prophecy foretold by Jofuku will come true, and Saga is set to face a cataclysmic event. And they even talk about how Saga has faced events like this in the past, but in the end, they always kind of cause people to forget about them forget about saga forget about everything they sp- they say that it's like it's like a curse on saga yeah but like but like it kind of made me keep keep wondering like like oh wait a curse like how how bad is this curse <laughs> yeah like there's something something in the air some kind of dark force that is causing a lot of bad stuff to happen to saga but it's not fleshed out very much at this moment so it's making me think thinking that like okay next season probably yeah we're probably going to flesh out this curse a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Probably show that maybe it doesn't come in different forms or anything like that. Because curses don't come from anywhere. No. there's it's They, they almost always come from some sort of, like, geographic or personal trauma. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of any, like, naturally occurring curses. You go down to the spring and it's just, like, naturally <laughs> po- popping out curses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> unless, like, unless they're, like, those cursed springs from Ron one one half. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of curses around there, actually. It allows you with curses. You just land into one, and then all of a sudden you just turn into an ocelot when you get covered with cold water. <laughs> <laughs> Something that just popped into my head right now. What if that the whole curse thing could have something to do with the saga regaining its independence? Because it happened really quick after years of like no movement. What if something happened that then caused the curse to happen? Like, What if the, a deal was made? And this was the the side effects of that deal. That could be possible. That could be possible. Yeah, just uh, just spitball in there. I feel like we might get one more historical uh, flashback before this series is over. That's yeah, all I'm saying. I think so, too. So the whole thing about like having dealing with these curses and also about people forgetting about Saga and forgetting about the curses is that... that you have to hire a Nen user to, <laughs> to get rid of them. And they got to explain their Nen powers in very detailed info right here. <laughs> you got to wait three months for the for the, the Nen uh, curse-eating beast to uh, get rid of the curse in order to fully digest it. But then they go on break and you have to wait like a couple more years to see the end of that. <laughs> Love you, Zagashi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good to see you back. <laughs> yeah, welcome back, bro. And so, like, with uh, Franchushu, the plan with them is to uh, make them so unforgettable that uh, people would have to, like, remember Saga and everything like that. So give them, give Saga that one big thing that will make people know about them. Something big happens. We get the Cataclysm begins the instant Okuba tries to, att- to attempt to publish his expose on Franchushu, with Saga experiencing a sudden prefecture-wide blackout from a severe rainstorm that then sends the girl's mansion with them inside of it sliding down towards the sea. Oh boy. Things are getting bigger. This is like 2011 Tohoku like earthquake stuff going on here now. Yeah. This is how the season ends. Oh yeah, because like we see a lot of the uh, the aftermath of this big disaster and it's actually very, very reminiscent to like a lot of natural disasters you do see in Japan. 
So we do see the girls washed up on the shore of uh, Hamasaki Beach, so not too far from where they started. But they end up losing all of their belongings, everything they own, because uh, the mansion then collapses. And one of the things they also lose is uh, their makeup, too. So the makeup that they put on now has to last them for a while. I will say my only gripe with this is that it kind of happens way too fast. A little too fast. Like, it, it happens almost immediately in this in the, in this uh, penultimate episode. I just think maybe... Maybe maybe you could have spent a little time in the previous episode building up to this. Maybe some, like, Weather Channel footage and, like, really show that, like, some shit's on the way. Kind of similar to what they did in uh, Season 1, because I know before the uh, finale with the Arpino concert, there was, like, a lot of shots of, like, people saying, like, a big storm is coming to hit Japan right now. Everything's hit now, and it's... the whole, All of Saga's pretty messed up. It's messed up. They're all underwater for the most part. Like, it's really... It's pretty much, like... Any natural disaster you see happen to Saga right here. The series is really taking to light <laughs> this very bad event. <laughs> Thankfully not showing the mountains of bodies this would realistically produce. Oh yeah, they don't sh- they don't talk about any dead people. Yeah. Like any dead dead people as opposed to our living dead people. Right, right. Well, no, no, I think maybe in like the last episode like uh, some of the some government officials mentioned bodies, but they thankfully don't talk about that for very Just long. Don't Because that would make this story, that would make things really, really serious very quickly. Like, we already had things serious with Saga incidents. We don't need to, we don't need it to be even more serious. So the girls make their way to a nearby shelter and better get comfortable because they're going to be here for a while. But they do make the most things, like, you know, lending a helping hand with the relief efforts and also entertaining the kids to keep their minds off the disaster. Though he might get some trouble as Okuba just so happens to stop by at this shelter. And so uh, later that night, Franchushu entertains the people by performing some of their songs a cappella. And I want to bring this up because, interestingly enough, when they sing here, it's dubbed. Yes! This was present in the simul dub, probably because they already adapted the song Awaken Returner in season one, so it was pretty easy to put in. But it also makes you think, like, okay, so they added that in, but they didn't do any of the other ones? Could it be a matter of production? That's what I'm thinking, because I feel like maybe they planned to have the songs dubbed, but for whatever reason, midway through uh, putting the home release together, plans may have changed or something. Well, it's also the way the, the whole story presents it, though, because like they they don't have the means to put on a big like performance right now, so it's all very it's all very off the cuff. Their performances, it's just kind of they don't, there's no editing magic to be applied here. These are not glamorous productions, they're just putting on, you know, on-the-fly productions to, like, raise people's spirits. Like, they're on stage, people are using their car headlights to light the stage, and they're just going, ba 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 I think it was maybe more like one of those quick decisions from, on, like, the dubbing side, where it's like, like, okay, should we make, okay, should we maybe use, like, the Japanese voices here, or, like, should we just... Can we just on the fly, like, dub this real quick? Because they're just off-the-cuff performances. It's not like, they're not, like, full performances. Yeah, they're all doing acapella. Who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe they knew ahead of time they couldn't do, like, full song, like full dub songs for the season. Maybe they were like, okay, maybe we'll just do this. Maybe we'll just take what we can get right here. Yeah, like, I would probably think maybe, like, during simul Because why go to the effort? Through the effort. Yeah, because also during the simul dub, you don't do the dub songs anyway because that takes a lot of time and you're on a deadline. Yeah. But with home video release, you then get more time. But I feel like maybe after they were done going through the first time, they probably something just happened and they weren't allowed to do it. 
for the it was, release. I was very curious about that. It was, it's actually a very good question to ask the uh, voice actor, voice actresses for this. Yeah, because like with certain casting in the show, you can tell certain people were cast based on their ability ability to sing. Because my my, she's played by Sherry Lee. Sherry Lee does have the ability to sing, so maybe she was cast like because they knew they were probably going to dub the songs, and my my has a song there. Okay, you need to remember this for when we meet any of these voice actresses in person because we need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Though at the same time Because we're all just we're now in speculation mode. Yeah. Though at the same time, I really want to know, could they talk about it? Because I remember when this came out, this this Blu-ray came out earlier in the month of October, and I didn't really see any promotion for it. And I had to wonder, like, could that be because they didn't want to bring attention to the fact that the songs aren't dubbed? I feel like enough time has passed now to where they could probably talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that could be a thing. It's like, whatever, that's in the past, like, you know, no one's really talking about it anymore. Now would be the good time to talk about it, I Yeah, think. so, yeah. If they if they can. I think, it's, I think it'd be worth it. Yeah, they'd be some to ask, like, the cast or uh, director Jade Saxton. I mean, you'll never know unless you ask. Yeah. Like, even not even at a con, just maybe go on, like, Twitter, tweet at, at Brian April, hey, why didn't, why wasn't the songs dubbed? Do you have any information? Oh, there you go. Or go on Amelie's stream and say, like, hey, songs weren't dubbed. Like, do you, can you talk about that? Yeah, it'd be worth it. Yeah. So the following day, Franchishu runs into a bit of trouble as their makeup is starting to crack off. We get a bit where they improvise by using paint from Junko's Ozaki doll kit. As, uh, you know, she had this uh, part-time job making these dolls, so it kind of comes back right here. And uh, they end up making these really unconvincing masks. They're right very gaudy looking, and I love how, like beforehand, the montage for them making it makes it look like it's actually going to work. Yeah, because, like, they do, like, like, there's a bit where Sakura presses her face into, like, the clay to make, like, the dolls, and it looks like her actual face, but then when you actually see them, it's just, like, eye holes and, like, mouths drawn on them. Yeah, because it's not gonna look the fucking same afterwards, because, <laughs> yeah. like, that's not how the process works. <laughs> and, like, Junko even brings that up. She wishes that, she brings up how she didn't have enough time to actually make the masks look right. <laughs> It's all really unconvincing, and then their masks break immediately. We get the moment where Franchishu is exposed to, like, the outside world right here. It's actually a big moment, but it also actually leads to a very sweet moment. As, like, uh, they think that, oh, they're gonna be caught right now and probably be killed for being zombies. But then the kids are all like, no, you're not scary. You're not zombies who eat people. You're Franchishu. That's who you are. It's actually really nice. Like, the kids all trust and believe in them. I would, have, I would have also believed if it was like, they were like, come on, it's it's 2020, right? <laughs> yeah. We we don't go around with pit torches and pitchforks killing zombies, okay? <laughs> we're a lot more open-minded these days. You know, George A. Romero films are all works of fiction. I think people would honestly love zombies if they turned out to be real. Oh, hell yeah. They'd be, they'd be so fascinated. Yeah, yeah. I'd, be, I'd just be wondering, like, so what's it like being a zombie, you know? Do you actually eat brains or do you eat yogurt? What's, what's, what's the deal with that? <laughs> There's much crazier stuff in this world than that. Maybe it'll turn out to be, like, Space Dandy, where, like, you know, people becoming zombies actually leads to world peace. <laughs> because 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 then everyone would be a zombie. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you have no reason to fight each other. You're all in the same boat. Because death is meaningless now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we do, actually, we do actually get a bit where I does cover for them, where she says, like, oh, we just put on makeup, we all try, tried to scare you, but everything's fine. In their heads, they're secretly thinking, why did we never try this? Yeah. <laughs> Just say, like, uh, Halloween costumes, everybody. It's makeup. Do yeah. you like it? 
these bandages covering my body aren't really covering horrible burn scars. Yeah, Greg Nicotero does all our makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Walking Dead guy. He's really good. Yeah, great guy. But it actually leads to a moment where Okaba even starts to understand Franchushu a bit here more. As he understands, you know, their courage to continually perform despite the risk of being found out. And he starts to change his tune a bit on them. So Kotaro reunites with the girls and reapplies their makeup, telling them that their revenge concert is still on schedule to restore Saga's morale. Afterwards, we get a moment where Sakura thanks Kotaro for helping her achieve her dream. And Kotaro promises to continue supporting Franchushu until they become world famous. Mr. Kotaro! What is it? I just realized there's something that I never said to you. (laughs) In spite of everything, you never gave up on us. Well, I mean, except that one time, I guess. What I mean is, we only made it this far because we had you to keep pulling us along. Back when I was alive, I was so moved by watching Ai. And then I got to meet Mai Mai, who said that she felt the same way because she saw my performances. Anyway, I know everything's been a total mess ever since that crazy rainstorm hit Saga, but entertaining people at the shelter's been... Well, for the first time, it feels like I have a real reason to sing, you know? I mean, since turning into a zombie. And I guess I just wanted to say... I'm so glad that you made me an idol. I owe you so much for that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, Inui, thank you. When I said that you didn't have it. And for as long as Franchushu exists, I promise I'll be someone who has it too. And Sakura, the truth is, EFS is just the start. Cause your dream, Franchushu's dream, it is bigger. One day you'll be loved by the whole world. Until then, I give my undying word. I, I will. I'll eternally have whatever it takes. It's a bit of a shame that this is the only Sakura Kotaro moment we get this season, but the season's all about them getting their revenge, so one thing at a time, but it's like, I wish we got more. Mm, well, well, like who knows? Well, who knows? There yeah. will probably be more in the future, so there's still more to come. Oh yeah, this is this probably won't get resolved until the final, final moments of the series. Like yeah. this is something that they're, they're going to sit on for a bit. No, for now, this is actually quite fine. This is very nice. Like, and just like knowing their history between these two, and it's just all like, oh man, I really can't wait to see how this ends up. Mm-hmm. So is it? So is it? We are the world. We are the children. Time. It's about we are the world. We are the children. Time. <laughs> As let's close out season two and get that revenge. 
So, with Okuba's help, Kotaro convinces the governor of Saga to focus their repair efforts around Tosu so people can get to EFS, arguing that uh, Franchichu's charity concert will assist in unifying Saga. Then Saki gets on the radio to uh, promote the concert, encouraging people who hears to, uh, to attend. And this starts to turn into a bit more than just revenge at this point, as they do want to redeem themselves from the first EFS concert, but they really do want to help and support the people of Saga after this natural disaster. Help them be happy and smile and take their minds off everything that's been going on, even for just a few hours. And on the day of the concert, Ron Shushu arrives on foot at the stadium to find it seemingly empty until people from all across Japan start filing in as Saki's broadcast gained international attention because there were no other radio stations going on at the time. And we pretty much have an Avengers Endgame assemble moment right here. As we start off with the Metalheads, you know, their first two fans, and then more people start filing in. You know, you get Maria and her friends, you get the bikers, you get the old folks, and then you just get everyone is here. I mean, I, I wouldn't use, I, would, I don't know if I would use that comparison, because they're not about to, like, kill an entire army. Yeah, they're not going to fight the they're, 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 they're here to see a concert. <laughs> Though Coco does fly in with a bit of a Iron Man superhero pose. Yes, justify it. Yeah. <laughs> justify your comparison you know we just need a moment where they say is that everybody and then they go you want more these are all the characters in the series but this, it's one fucking prefecture we can, <laughs> what more, more do you want yeah we have all of saga in this thirty thousand seater stadium 300 people are dead <laughs> from <laughs> this fucking typhoon people are trapped in their homes and presumably drowning right now can we enjoy our fucking front shoe shoe <laughs> <laughs> Let us live our lives. <laughs> Let us enjoy this one thing. Yeah. The world sucks as it is. Let us see our dancing zombie girls. Graham Graham's fucking dead. <laughs> Let me enjoy my idol. She's drowning right now. <laughs> and essentially, we pretty much have a full Franchushu concert to end off the season right here. So first sign they do is revenge.
And then after their first song, we get a great moment where Ty does a bit of a... Call and response. Yep, Freddie Mercury at Live Aid. <laughs> She's like... I'm not doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but you folks out there, search up the Freddie Mercury Live Aid bit and then compare that to Ty. It is pretty much one for one. I'll look up any call and response at like a musical performance. Like it's it's like a moment like this kind of had to happen. And what better character to do it with than like the nonsense that is Ty Yamada. <laughs> and I love how... And she's having fun with it too. I love... It's, a, it's one of my favorite moments in the entire season. I love how happy she is during this moment where like she does the first growl crowd response and then she gets a big smile she's like oh i'll keep doing this keep keep this up yeah, and she realizes like she has the audience in the palm of her hand just works the crowd and everyone loves it It's, I love that moment so much. It's one of the most beautiful moments of the season. It's amazing. Like, no wonder... <laughs> only only in Zombieland Saga. <laughs> only in Zombieland Saga can the most beautiful moment be a brain-dead zombie girl growling at an audience while they growl back at her. And they love her for it. It's just... The legendary Tayamada. She is just everyone's favorite. I swear to God, if they don't do that at live performances, huge missed opportunity. That's why they need Kotono Mitsuishi to be at a concert. To do just that. Ugh, come on. It's like, she can do that. You, She doesn't even need to be in the performance. You can just bring her on the stage for like one bit. Yeah, just one bit, put her in a wig, put her in the tie outfit, and just have her growl at the audience. You can make a good joke about it. It would be a good, good bit. The crowd would love it. They would pop super hard just seeing her walk out on stage. You would have them eating out of the palm of your hands. You would have a moment that would surpass anything that Love Live has ever done live. <laughs> you would get people popping off harder than, like, Splatoon fans did for Pearl at their first yeah. live performance. <laughs> you know, find a more legendary moment than that. <laughs> so after that, we get uh, their next song, Shine. <laughs>
Fran Shushu, they are just riding the highest of highs, like, and they vow to keep it up as they want to keep fighting forever to save Saga. Like, this concert, they got their revenge and everything, but they're still going to keep going. Like, their work isn't done. They still need to save Saga. And Kotaro, he is just so moved by this. Like, he's even crying. Like, he may be a jackass, but he cares so much about these girls. Bawling like a baby. It's like, <laughs> it's like his daughters have grown up. And, like, he's still screaming at them. He's like, yeah, go, go, yeah, go, 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 go. Notably, Kotaro wipes away some blood on the floor that he copped up while he was bawling on the ground. Another thing that we're gonna have to wait for. But it's like, oh, come on, you can't give us any more teases like that. Come on, I gotta find out about this close proximity to an alchemist lead, lead poisoning thing. <laughs> <laughs> they then go out for their well-deserved encore. With the final song, Tailwind Travelers.
All of these final songs are great. Real good crowd pleasers from, from a group like Franchushu. Yeah, and just like, like I said, this whole back half of the final episode is just one big concert. Like, they already completed the story, now it's just get out there and perform. Like, I really enjoyed that. Zombieland Saga Revenge comes to a close as EFS was a massive success, and Franchushu finally got their revenge. Then after the credits, out of nowhere, a flying saucer appears, and obliterates the horizon. Wildcard, bitches! Ah, UFO like Guitar Wolf! Yeah! <laughs> we had the zombies, now we have the spaceship. Oh, hell it's yeah. It's all coming around. Hell, we even had the fucking... Oh my god, why did we not bring this... Yeah, why, why, we, why did we not point this out? The the sword and the guitar! Yes! Like we just... The creators of this totally watched Guitar Wolf. I have no doubt that they, they, they watched Guitar Wolf. You've got someone pulling a, a, pulling a sword out of a guitar. We've got, like, zombies and UFOs. The the creators of Zombieland Saga are such big Guitar Wolf fans. They like, have to be. Like, they even have music. Like, a lot of the rock music in this is kind of similar to the stuff you see in uh, Guitar Wolf. <laughs> I'm glad we caught this near the end, because yeah. I, I wouldn't want to look like my... I didn't want to look like an ass near the end. <laughs> and not point out the sword, the guitar sword. And not acknowledge the greatness that is Guitar Wolf. <laughs> yeah we saw guitar wolf not too long ago with friends and i'm thankful we saw it when we did because now we can point it out that is a great film oh my god watch guitar wolf it is amazing oh please <laughs> i mean the creators of Zombieland saga very clearly did yeah i'm almost certain they have oh i have no doubt the references are right here like even kotaro with like his sunglasses and everything kind of looks a bit like guitar wolf <laughs> but yeah we got aliens but that's all we get for the for the for this season Curtain down. To be continued. off season two and wait yeah. to for more yeah man this was this was a pretty great season i gotta say yep and we do have more coming as uh on october 17th 2021 it was announced that there will be a zombie land saga movie when it'll come out is anyone's best guess especially considering uh mappa who did the series is also doing the yuri on ice movie and we're now in year six of waiting for that one uh, so they might have to get behind yeah and they're they're already busy on chainsaw man at the moment so it's like... Mappa's pretty overworked. They are overworked. I've been banging on about that for a while now. Like, a little less projects, please. It, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. I feel with a movie coming up, I think that should be the ultimate final, final conclusion to Zombieland Saga. They could potentially do that. They, could, they probably could wrap up the whole series with a movie. And if they do want to do another TV series, I think maybe adapt the uh, Zombieland Saga first zombie spin-off manga like it gives us essential backstory to tie 
I think you could make a series out of that. Mm, maybe if there's only enough material, maybe like a short OVA or something. Maybe that too. I will be curious to see how that film will turn out. Yep, and hopefully, fingers crossed, when it does come out, uh, they do put it in theaters, because I know Control does put some movies in theaters. Zombieland Saga, it's pretty popular, so maybe one or two day screenings at the very, very least. But I know one thing's for sure. After it comes out, you can bet your bottom dollar that we will cover that on the podcast. Oh yeah, most certainly. Yeah, we are we are sticking with Franchishu and Saga until the very, very end. Yeah, I'm pretty dug in with Zombieland Saga now with the second season. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, this second season got a whole lot bigger. Uh, it still retained all the laughs, but like it actually impressed me with how serious its writing got in parts and how seriously it's now taking uh, its setting of Saga Prefecture to heart for the uh, in order to. Uh, in order to really make you uh, care about a place in the world that you probably otherwise maybe would not have heard of, if not for the series, and um, you know, and it really, and the the love for that for that whole like geographical place comes through quite well in the writing, uh, much more than the first season. Now that they're trying to ramp up the plot, but it still also has like lots of very good new character moments. For some, maybe not a whole lot from Tayamada, but that's like long game stuff, but. No, all the characters like have or uh, have some. All the characters have some new dimensions brought to them thanks to all the new episodes, and it really feels like this this series is now reaching a very proper crescendo. Like I feel like I, I feel like I understand the the soul of the series a lot better now with the second season. It it, it did a phenomenal job of really homing in on the heart of all of this. Like why should you care <laughs> about this vital group of zombie girls beyond? just the insane premise because you because you can make an anime about a weird premise oh yeah or a very like abnormal or odd or strange or even just uh, out of the out of the norm experience or something but like you gotta have you gotta have something because gimmicks come and go yeah constantly in this anime industry but you gotta have a heart you gotta have way more to your story than just this novel premise silly stuff happens and that's it and i think with the second season zombieland saga has fully come into that way more than i think the first season did yeah i agree with that because like uh, with the first season it was kind of more of a personal story you know it's mostly focused on sakura and like her her regaining her confidence and becoming like the idol she always dreamed about while also telling more personal stories of like each of the other members of the of uh, franchishu and then like once we got to know them got to care about them then for season two we can jump right into like the real big picture of zombieland saga as a franchise that being the saga in the title and like, yeah, they just made, they really maybe care about this one prefecture in Japan. Like, when you think of Japan, you think of like some of the other bigger spots, you know, like Tokyo, Kyoto, and what have you. Like, not a lot of people give a lot of lip service to Saga, but thanks to Zombieland Saga, I'm really, I really do kind of have a fondness for this prefecture. Like, I would really love to visit this place. And like, hey, if this whole series is just one big tourist ad for Saga, it worked. Like, I really do care about this one prefecture right here, thanks to these zombie idols. Like, yeah, just. Bigger and better than season one, too. Like I love the songs, despite that, despite them not being dubbed. But the original Japanese versions are just still just as good. A lot of them are bangers, and covering all wide genres. Like like I said, that's one of the things I love about Franchishu. They do more than the typical poppy idol stuff, and also pretty much in general, I'm just I'm just very glad that Zombieland Saga as a series exists. Because like last time when we covered the series, I kind of went on a bit of a rant talking about my feelings on most idol anime nowadays because basically i love this series i love love live i love the concept of idol anime but 
unfortunately, that's where it ends, because... You can't really be bothered for anything else outside of those. No, because it's, it's mostly not great. Like, most of them don't carry the same weight as a Zombieland Saga or a Love Live. The only other one I can probably think of is this series called If My Favorite Idol Went to the Budokan, I Would Just Die. Like, it's a modest, low-key hit, but it's pretty enjoyable, you know, talking about the... More focused on the relationship between an idol and their fans, and, you know, what what it's what is it like to be the idol that's ranked bottom on like a popularity list? You know, talking about that, which is it's pretty nice, but it's kind of very subdued. But other than that, it's just a whole lot of nothing. Wake Up Girls, mid. Ensemble Stars, mid. Pride of Orange, mid. Idolish Seven, mid. Aikatsu, mid. Idol Master. Ma 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 mid. Okay, I did not know that you tried that much <laughs> to come to this decision. Yeah. Well, you tried all those. Yeah. What's the fur? What's the furthest you got in any of them, and the least furthest you got in any of them? I would say I got at least one episode into uh, Wake Up Girls. I got into three episodes of Pride of Orange. Idolmaster, I watched half of Cinderella Girls, and then I just gave up. <laughs> I even played that fucking Idolmaster Cinderella Girls cell phone game, and I gave up. Oh, wow. You, you gave it that much leeway. Yeah, and I and that was around the time where everyone was super hyped over that cell phone game, and they were kind of disparaging School Idol Festival for some reason, and I'm just all like, no, School, School Idol Festival is fucking better than this fucking piece of shit. Interesting. Like, wow. I do not, I could care less about Idolmaster despite its popularity. Like, it is just the barest bare minimum of gotcha game waifu wars bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> At least no one can say that you can't walk the walk. Yeah. <laughs> At least no one can say you, you, you've, you can't try. No. It's like, you've, you've never put in the effort. No, it's like, I tried, and like I go through all these other idol shows, and I'm just, I just come out feeling old, tired, and, and feeling like I work with fucking children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm surrounded by fucking children who, who think these are good. <laughs> Bunch of empty-headed fucking dumb fucks. <laughs> uh, uh, but in short, I would say... Up there with Love Live, Zombieland Saga is pretty much peak idol anime, and quite frankly, I think it's going to stay that way for a while, for a while now. I, I appreciate its weirdness. I appreciate I, I appreciate how f really weird it is. It is so wonderfully weird. Not many other series would take a gamble a gamble like this, going as weird as it does. But like, you no, know, the the writing and the humor and like the characters, it all comes through very well. And it embraces that weirdness because. Like I brought up earlier, there are no snarky side comments about all the weird stuff. They just wear it on their sleeve. They just play it completely straight. They're just all like, we know this is weird, but we're we're sincere about it. And that's just what I love about it. I appreciate that sincerity with how weird it is. Yeah, I can't wait for that movie. I'm really eager to see how things pan out for Fran Chushu and the rest of the saga. I guess my biggest hope is, like, they just go out with a real banger five-star Bobby Dazzler to really end off the series. And also, I guess... Make it gayer. You know, we already got a trans girl, but try to find a way to make it gayer. To be to be fair, like, that's every idol series. <laughs> every idol series I hear people always say, make it gayer. <laughs> Which yeah, it's it's they are right. Yeah. But it's it's nothing new. It's the same old song. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're asking for the bare minimum at but this I, point. But I feel with Zombieland Saga, they could actually go for it. Because they already went with the trans girl. Like, why not have, say, I and Junko kiss. Yeah, that is a good point. Why not? Yeah. 
Like, you can totally Actually, have... why not? Yeah, do it. Fucking do it. You won't. Fucking cowards. <laughs> Actual cowards, Actual if, they cowards. Don't, if they don't do that. Yeah. Like, if I don't get an Ijunko kiss, I will say 4 out of 10. I'm half joking, but, like, like this yeah. this also speaks to, like, my frustration with so many of this, so much of this media. Like, bending over backwards to not have gay relationships. Yeah. You already got this far with Lily. Just go a little further. Do you know how much love you would get from fans? You would be that? the most over-idol anime, or anime in general, like, since, not since, like, that one by Gundam series that's airing right now. And you just know, aside from the fact that it will also just be, like, a genuinely nice thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias, at MikeyShiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and MikeyShiota on the gram. Where can, where can we find you, buddy? You can find me at <laughs> 2 bits on Twitter and Wolfish Grin on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> Follow show at AnimeBaby.Podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we gotta remember, this is a Halloween yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Boo. Go watch Guitar Wolf, it has zombies. Yes, that's a Halloween movie. That is actually a good, that would actually be a good watch for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> and next time, it'll be our last episode of 2022 as uh, one more episode, and we're going to take a much-needed break from doing regular episodes until January. Well, we, well, for December, we will still have Anime Secret Santa, and I will be writing an article for that. Yep, you'll be doing a write-up, and I'll be doing another solo podcast, so you'll at least have that to look forward to, but uh, as far as regular episodes of us banging on about a series, you get one more after this one, and then we'll see you in January. And what are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to be closing out the year strong, as we're once again going beyond plus ultra style with my hero academia season five yes season five a season that like <laughs> actually marked a bit of a turning point for me with my hero academia because that was the first season where i my expectations were actually not met ah. upon first viewing <laughs> <laughs> we will see how the rewatch holds up yeah yeah i will say this now it's probably the weakest of the seasons but and for and for the and for what plot that takes place in it, it, that should not have happened. Yeah, at all. But we will be following up with Deku and the gang as they get prepped for some big things coming down the road. But uh, that's not all, as we'll be spending a good amount of time with our favorite group of baddies in the Leaguey Weegee as they get their own spotlight that season. So look out for that sometime late November, early December. But that's the last one of the year. But until then, stay safe out there. Get vaxxed, get boosted, wear a mask. Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights. Stop Asian hate. Abortion rights are human rights. Try and make it a good gear. Also, unionize dubs. And this has been... Anime, baby!
That includes me, dearest Lady Lily. <laughs>